Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. WPHT, WPHT, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. So the question is, uh, when will Barack Obama be charged with murder? That's the question. When will he be charged with murder? What do I mean? I'll explain. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli on a rainy Tuesday. I guess we got some bad weather on the way, kids. So be careful, all right? Be careful out there and take it easy. Governor Phil Murphy, King Philip the Unaccountable, his royal rugness, has already declared a state of emergency. And uh, in anticipation of the state of emergency that uh, is going to be taking place, His Royal Highness will be giving the State of the State address and also uh, lecturing everybody about how to drive safe in the rain. All right. So all those things are going to be happening uh, momentarily. But the question is, uh, can Barack Obama be charged with murder? Uh, murder uh, by uh, by a criminal court. I mean, say, say the United States attorney for D.C. I mean, there's no statute of limitations on murder decides, hey, you know what? Presidents don't have immunity for their actions in office. And I personally think that when Barack Obama signed the death warrant of Anwar al-Awlaki, was a U.S. citizen, um, he killed the guy, murdered the guy. He didn't have any due process. And when did Congress give the president the right to just kill people? So, I mean, it was justified by the Obama's own lawyers writing a memo saying, yeah, we can kill this dude and three others. We can kill four Americans without due process because, you know, we're at war and this is a war and they weren't even near the war zone. Or at least how lucky wasn't at the time. But hey, what the heck? Let's charge him with murder. I mean, why not? See, this question of presidential immunity, it's playing out right now in the D.C. Circuit Court, really hinges upon... Can you can you go after a president after he leaves office for for something that you perceive to be a crime committed by the president while in office? And the answer to that, of course, is no. As ridiculous as the analogy is, it's it's a legitimate argument that's playing out in court. What about drone strikes? Can you can what I mean? At what point do you say that a president's actions as president? There's only one body. That gets to deal with that, and that is Congress, while the president is in office. And if the Congress doesn't believe it rises to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors, 
then you're out of luck. And that's just how it goes. And that the Constitution of the United States is very, very clear in the impeachment clause that gives Congress and only Congress the ability to go after presidents for their actions as president. Now, when they leave office, obviously, that's a different matter. Then they're private citizens and then, you know, uh, all bets are off. But why why have an impeachment clause if years later president leaves office and you get to turn around and say, well, now we're going to charge you with uh, with murder. You know, you, you can we believe you committed a crime here and we're going to we're going to go after you in criminal court because that's what they're doing. The Trump they are arguing that Trump interfered with the election, that Trump uh, is election denialism claims. Trump's argument is, look, I took an oath. Right. My oath was to defend the Constitution and take care of the laws are faithfully executed. If we've got all this evidence that there's cheating going on and voter fraud going on, I've got to do something about it. You know, I'm the, I'm the top law enforcement officer in the land. I mean, as president of the United States, it's, it's, it, everything falls on me. Remember, the Constitution doesn't say that the power of the executive shall be vested in a president and an attorney general and an FBI director and a bunch of bureaucrats. No, no, no it's all the president, all the power that flows all flows through the president. So when I say he's the top law enforcement officer, he's the top. I mean, he is because he's the guy who puts his hand on the Bible and takes the oath of office to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. And so that means that he's the boss of the attorney general. He's the boss of the FBI director. He's the top dog, period. You know, these are not independent agencies. These are part of the executive. So Trump is president, does these things. Congress ultimately impeaches him for January 6th and they have a trial in the Senate and he's found not guilty. So there's your due process and a story and it's over because otherwise what you're going to do is if you say presidents don't have immunity, criminal immunity or civil immunity, but immunity for their actions as president while president, then mark my words, I guarantee you this, every single president of the United States of America will be charged with something in criminal court when they leave office. A hundred percent, without fail. Every single president will be charged with a crime when they leave office. The opposition party in power will get to appoint a U.S. attorney somewhere who will go after that president for breaking the law on something. Something that the president did. Because, you know, look, I mean, presidents have to skirt a lot of gray areas here. You know, there's all kinds of gray areas presidents have to skirt. And, you know, should George Bush have gone to prison for Abu Ghraib? Should he have gone to prison for signing off on torture? Or was that decision to either go after him or not go after him left to Congress, who chose not to go after him? You see what I mean? I mean, Barack Obama killed a lot of people with drone strikes. He was like Mr. Drone Strike. They had these meetings every Tuesday, and... um they they had a, they even had a joking name for it. It was like it was like drone strike Tuesday or something. They go over the list, and Barack Obama would personally sign off on these names. And the ACLU sued to say you don't have the right to kill Americans without due process. Now at the time, no one really cared because Anwar Awlaki was a was a su- suspected terrorist. But that's the thing about our criminal justice system: you're only suspected until you have due process and you're found guilty in court. So the question is: Can a president? kill somebody who's a suspected terrorist who's not in immediate threat of or it's a immediate proximity to the homeland you know obviously there's the old argument of all right so somebody has a bomb and they're threatening to blow it up 
and you got a sniper trained on the guy who gives the kill order and that's not really a question in those circumstances the courts pretty much understand whoever the executive is whether it's in the state or a federal matter has the right to say take him out chief of police whatever there's we, we understand all that my question is well can can the president order somebody's death a thousand thousands of miles away not on u.s soil when they're not in a in a definitive threat to the homeland when it's not an immediate urgent situation they just think the guy's a terrorist and the president says i think he's got to go is that enough is that all it takes it's just a presidential memorandum of understanding that yeah this is a bad dude and we're going to wipe him out we're going to kill him now <clears throat> i don't know the answer to that because because it's a very vague area it's very when we are at war and there was a state of war that existed at the time the war on terror the never-ending war on terror um it's a gray area but it's not up to me to say see i don't have the legal authority to say and i don't think the criminal justice system has the legal authority to say the only entity that has the legal authority to say whether the president violated his oath of office or not is congress under the impeachment clause now, if somebody had sued Barack Obama and had gone to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court had ruled that what he did was unconstitutional, well, then Congress could have taken action, but the, but the Supreme Court doesn't have the right to remove the president. You know, they, they could argue his actions were unconstitutional, but they don't have the ability to do anything about it. So then at that point, Congress could have turned around and said, you know what, that whole killing an American with a drone strike thing, not cool. And the court said it was unconstitutional. You don't have the power to do that. So we're going to impeach you and remove you from office. Okay, well, then that's Congress's business. And if at the time Congress felt like, you know what, this is probably a gray area and probably one we want to tread carefully around, whether or not the executive can just sign the death warrant for an American citizen or not. But nevertheless, we're at war. Bad dude, probably a terrorist, probably a threat. So we'll let this one go. Or we'll let these four go. But don't do it again. Uh, Try not to anyway. You know what I mean? Well, that's it. It's over then. You know, for some some blazing U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia to come in years later and say, hey, listen, murder has no statute of limitations. It's a statute, not a statue. Murder has no statute of limitations. So we're going to charge Barack Obama with murder of the murder of Anwar al-Awlaki and argue that he had no right as president to order his death. It's insane. It is insane. It's no different than Congress trying to posthumously impeach Roosevelt for the internment of Japanese Americans. You know, at the time that he did that, the internment of uh, Japanese, German, and Italian American citizens, when he signed that executive order to forcibly remove them from their homes and put them in concentration camps, at the time the Supreme Court ruled it was constitutional. They upheld that in Korematsu, but Korematsu has since been overturned by the Supreme Court symbolically overturned but overturned nonetheless so i mean could congress now posthumously impeach president roosevelt as president and argue that even though he's dead we're going to wipe him from the history books by removing him from office and stripping away his title of president or we want we want history to reflect the fact that he was impeached and convicted for his actions in the 1940s i mean i i hope not because that's also insane but at what point do we say When a president does something in office, the time to deal with it is when he's president or she, when he's president and that's it. And then if Congress doesn't do anything about it, well, then it's tough noogies. I mean, history will judge, but that's the only judge. 
because th- we are we are in very very shaky constitutional ground right now with this this trial that's playing out in DC court and you know the the hypothetical argument about whether or not a president can order a SEAL team 6 to take out a political rival what if a president does in fact order an assassination of a foreign leader but it's illegal but president does it anyway because he's got reason to believe you know it's like the story of um Let's see this. The left would probably like this. I'll give you this analogy. They said that uh, Russia brought nukes to Belarus, I think. So what if now there's credible evidence that Vladimir Putin is planning to launch nuclear missiles? And we've got a spy over there who's embedded in the Kremlin and we can take out Putin. And we know that the guy who's going to take his place is going to pull out of Ukraine and it's going to be much different. We got a shot. It's one shot. It's tonight at 6 p.m., at this, uh, they're having this ball to honor Stalin. Because I don't know if you know that or not, but that's a thing now where they're trying to rehabilitate Joseph Stalin. Really, in Russia, they have all these like Stalin centers that are popping up now to try to rehabilitate him. Because he's gotten a bad rap over the years. And rightfully so. <laughs> the guy was a monster. But, uh, so they're having a dinner tonight, you know. A dinner tonight to honor Stalin. And Putin's going to be there. And our guy, who's embedded deep... Uh, is one of the caterers. He can poison Putin's food tonight and kill him once and for all. Mr. President, do you want to kill Vladimir Putin tonight? And Joe Biden, of course, mutters and stumbles and Barack Obama answers the question and says, yes, take him out. And they said, well, thank you, because that's what we were talking to you the whole time. So then they kill Putin tonight. You know, he's there eating his borscht or whatever the hell they eat over there. I don't know. Uh, They poison his vodka. I think the guy, I mean, isn't that what all they do in Russia is just drink vodka, I think? Anyway, so he poisoned Vlad's vodka. He takes a shot. He's like, stole a night, you know, whatever. And then drops dead. And then next week, somebody finds out Joe Biden gave the order to assassinate Vladimir Putin. And Congress goes, that's outrageous. We have a law against assassinating other foreign leaders. We're going to impeach Joe Biden for this. And they do. And they have a trial and they find him not guilty. They say, Joe Biden, under the circumstances, you did what you had to do. You're not guilty. And then that's that. And then the next president's a Republican. And now the Republican president comes in and says, hell no. He broke the law. He broke the law and he assassinated a foreign leader. That is against federal law. He doesn't have the right to just do that. And I want him prosecuted. Calls up the attorney general of the United States and says, I want this guy prosecuted. And the attorney general turns around and calls up the U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia and says, go ahead, get, a, get, get an arrest warrant. We are now filing formal charges against former President Joe Biden for taking out Vladimir Putin by poisoning his vodka and his borscht or whatever the hell they eat over there. And uh, now Biden's got to face criminal charges for his decision as president to assassinate a foreign leader, even though Congress adjudicated the matter and found him to be not guilty. Do you know how absurd that would be? What an absurd world we would we would we would have if that was allowed to to stand. If we find out a president has broken the law as president, and 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 let's say we find out after the fact, you know, let's say Biden leaves office, he gave the order to assassinate Putin, nobody knew about it. And then Trump beats him, and now Trump's president. It's 2027, and we and, and the information comes to light. Joe Biden gave the order to assassinate Vladimir Putin, and Trump says, I want this guy prosecuted. It was a federal crime. And he needs to go to, he needs to face the music for this. So now we're going to haul Joe Biden into criminal court, stuttering and mumbling, 
and uh, we're going to charge him with with violating federal law as president. I mean, it's insane. It's absurd. It will be a even worse banana republic if this is allowed to go through. And mark my words, every single president will ultimately then face criminal charges for something they've done as president. This is why the only matter, the only way, the uh, literally the only way to deal with this, period, is Congress and the impeachment clause of Article 1, and that's it, and that's the end of it. And if Congress does not impeach him, if Congress does not remove him, it's over. And if Congress doesn't have the information at the time, well, tough noogies. You know, I mean, something may come out at one point that, fine, you know, if LBJ were still alive and the truth came out that maybe he ordered the assassination of John F. Kennedy, I don't know, uh, you know, are we gonna? Like, at what point do you say this is lunacy? We have to just step back and say the actions of a president, while president, have to be dealt with by Congress. And if the Congress doesn't know at the time, well, then tough, you know, because there's a lot of things that are classified, and Congress doesn't know everything. And so maybe they, a couple of members of Congress did know because they're the ones authorized to know under the law, and they didn't think it rose to the level of impeachment, and that's enough. But this question of can you go after presidents criminally for their actions as president, I'm telling you right now, if the answer to that is yes, then Barack Obama needs to be charged with murder. There's no other way around it. He gave the order to assassinate American citizens. Whether or not he was right or not needs to be decided by a court. Not me, not you, because that's the due process clause of the Constitution. So in the absence of a finding by a judge and a jury that these men were guilty and then a sentence imposed of execution, Barack Obama probably broke the law. And just because his attorney said he didn't doesn't mean he didn't, so arrest him. Let's get this over with. That's the big story of the day today, brought to you by our buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. That's where I want you to go, VenariaDental.com. He's a great guy. He's my dentist, and he is the master of dental implants. So please go see him today, VenariaDental.com. We're coming right back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Zioli Show. On your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. Like 855-839-1210 if you want to weigh in on Twitter at Rich Zioli. So Donald Trump brought up the drone strikes today. And what's good, though, is that his people are asking these questions. I mean, the attorneys are asking these questions and they're good questions to ask. You know, I mean, can can I mean, can a president be charged with killing people with drone strikes? What Barack Obama did is uh, was terrible, 
And also, in addition to that, um, it was something that doesn't have a statute of limitations. So here's Trump outside the courthouse today. Take a listen. So you can't have a president uh, without immunity. You have to have, as a president, you have to be able to do your job. But if this didn't work out, if I wasn't given immunity, then other presidents, when we talked about today, uh, President Obama with the drone strikes, which were very bad, uh, they were mistakes, terrible mistakes. Uh, you can't put a, uh, you really can't put a president in that position. So I think most people understand it, and we feel very confident that eventually, uh, hopefully at this level, but eventually we win. A president has to have immunity. And the other thing is I did nothing wrong. We did nothing wrong. We did nothing wrong. And that's the point that he talks about. Listen, I was president. We had uh, allegations of election interference and we needed to uh, look into them. Uh, just keep Fox News guys uh, monitored because Corrine Jean-Pierre's at the White House podium. It's The breaking news today is that uh, the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has prostate cancer. And he was off the grid in the hospital, in the ICU, and we're going to hear if Corrine Jean-Pierre is going to address that fact about the defense secretary basically being AWOL and the White House not knowing about it. Let's just jump in for a quick second and find out what uh, the FemBot is saying here. Well, we have uh, John Kirby up on the screen right now. Is that what oh, you got see? Kirby on the screen. Yeah. Okay, I may be on a delay then. Uh, all right, well, is Kirby talking about Austin? Yeah, it looks like it. All right, let's see what Kirby has to say. Heard uh, both from John Kirby and Karine Jean-Pierre that the president is standing. No, they're out. Okay. All right. Well, they're just basically saying the president's standing by him. Look, this is a big deal. This whole idea, this revelation that Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary, was just gone. I mean, he was just, you know, like, where did he go? He was in the hospital. He was in the ICU. He has prostate cancer. And that question, of course, of whether or not somebody at the White House should have known about this, it's a great question. And I think the answer to that is yes. I mean, this is a this is a major major problem. There are already articles of impeachment that are being introduced against Lloyd Austin for not following the chain of command and for not allowing the president of the United States to uh, to know about what's going on. Oh, you know, there's also a theory going around the internet. I know this is going to upset Susie on social media, but that Michelle Obama is not helping Joe Biden in his reelection because she wants to run for president. Now, this theory is is all over the place. It's all over the place right now that uh, Michelle Obama wants to be the candidate. And so people have been asking, why is Michelle Obama not doing more to help Joe Biden? Why are the Bidens not doing more to help Joe Biden? And the question is, is it because she she selfishly now wants to be the candidate herself? Hmm. With that uh, in mind, former first lady and author Michelle Obama said she's terrified by what may come out of the 2024 election. You know, the person who um, wanted to stay out of politics and just write, I don't know what, talk to women's magazines about recipes and home care and wanted nothing to do with politics, right? Nothing to do with politics at all. She's done with it. She's over. Michelle Obama's over. It's over. It's all over. Well, on this podcast that she was on, she actually says she's terrified by this. Here's host Jay Shetty. Asking her what keeps her up at night. Cut five. What is the thing that keeps you up at night now? Or what is is your biggest fear now after having overcome so many? It has less to do with me personally and more to do with the world that we're in. There's such a thing as knowing too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you've been married to the president of the United States who knows everything about everything in the world, 
sometimes you just want to turn you know it off. too much right it's like <laughs> i don't know i don't want to know what was in that folder that you just got that made you quiet mm. you know i don't want to know why the security just pulled you over mm. i mean it could be any range of things that comes across the desk of the leader of the free world right so i know a lot about what's going on and what keeps me up are the things that i know mm -hmm. um the war in the region in too many regions what is ai going to do for us the environment you know are we moving at all fast enough what are we doing about education mm. are people going to vote and why aren't people voting are we too stuck to our phones i mean those yeah. are the things that yeah. keep me up because you you don't have control over them mm -hmm. and you wonder where are people where are we in this you know where are our hearts what's going to happen in this next election i am terrified about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter who we select who speaks for us who holds that bully pulpit it affects us in ways that I, sometimes i think people take for granted you know the fact that people think that government eh, you know it's, it's it doesn't really even do anything and i'm like oh my god does government do everything for us? And we cannot take this democracy for granted. And sometimes I, I worry that we do. Those are the things mm. that keep me up. That's what keeps Michelle Obama up. Now, she's worried about the election. Does elections matter? She's worried about who the next president's going to be. Doesn't give like a real long, stunning endorsement of, Barack, of, of Joe Biden, though. You notice that? So this theory that's out there today is that Michelle Obama is secretly now uh, helping the Obamas are helping to torpedo Biden because they know he can't win. They know he's going to lose to Trump and they would love for Michelle to be able to jump in there and become the candidate. Now, do I believe in such theories? Well, first of all, the Obamas love power. That's number one. They love power. Does Michelle Obama really want to be president? No. But does Michelle Obama, would she be okay with her husband being president? And she's sort of the Pino, you know, the, the president in name only. And so she gets to be the first woman president. And the Democrats, you see, the Democrats have a problem right now. It's a Kamala Harris problem. I've told you this before. And the reason why is because they have the first black woman vice president in the history of the United States of America. All right. So how do you just push her aside for another like old white dude like Gavin Newsom? How do you just push her aside for uh, King Philip the Unaccountable, his royal rugness? Well, you, you can't. But, she, but, but Kamala Harris is even worse than Joe Biden is. She's even more unpopular than Joe Biden is. And so the, the, the question becomes, what do you do? You, you're going you're gonna to upset a lot of people on the left if you just shove her aside. Well, Michelle Obama solves that problem for the Democrats, obviously. She's a black woman. And she's Obama. And so you know, when I hear her talking about politics, I just get my radar up when I hear these stories that are floating around out there that maybe, just maybe, possibly now, Michelle Obama is hoping that Joe Biden will not be able to be president and she will be able to jump in at the last minute as the candidate. And the Democrats are so sleazy that what they would do, and here's how they would play this out, if they were going to do this, they would do it at their convention. And then all of the delegates, because they, what they can't afford is they can't afford like RFK getting the nomination or Bernie Sanders getting the nomination or somebody they can't control. They can't allow that to happen. So what they would do is they do a sleazy move over the summer where Joe Biden would have a stroke or something you know, right before the convention or during the convention or whatever. And then 
Michelle Obama would step up and all the delegates who were pledged to Joe Biden would go to Michelle Obama or something like that. Or, or that, I mean, that's one of the scenarios that could happen. No, I obviously I'm not an expert in terms of the rules of the Democrat National Committee, but Democrats don't care about rules anyway. They, they do whatever the hell they want. So however they need to figure it out to ensure that if they were going to make a last minute switcheroo, it would be done that way. But you have to do it before Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are nominated. See, that's the problem. Because if, if they're nominated, then if he's out, then she's the candidate. And they don't want that to happen. So if this if they are gonna play a little game here, and I'm not I'm not, Susie, don't get upset. I'm not saying they're going to. I'm just saying that if they were to play a little game like that, that's what they would do. They would do a sleazy little move like that last minute. So you can't have a primary. They would they would make it seem completely as an emergency situation. And Michelle Obama would stand up there and say, I don't want to do this, but I have to for my country because we got to stop Trump because he's evil and blah, 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 blah. And that's how this would play out. Oh, Kirby's talking about Austin right now. Let's j- jump in here for a minute as Peter Ducey is. work with allies and partners on a joint statement on the Houthi attacks in the Red Sea, which was to be issued to, according to the president's direction no later than Wednesday. You saw we did that. I came to the podium and read that out. From Monday the 1st of January through Wednesday the 3rd, the National Security Advisor, his deputy, Middle East Coordinator Brett McGurk, spoke repeatedly with their counterparts in multiple foreign capitals to secure the support for that joint statement. Senior NSC officials coordinated hour by hour with senior Pentagon officials who are also making phone calls and securing support from foreign partners. The president's uh, final approval on that statement uh, uh, happened shortly thereafter, and as you know, it was issued on the 3rd of January. Also on the 3rd, there was a principals committee meeting on Haiti, um, and neither Secretary Austin nor General Brown attended. They were represented by, by deputies. Um, that is not uncommon that a, 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 a principal's committee meeting, for whatever reason, the principal may not be able uh, to attend. Okay, thank you for all the detail on that. But more broadly, why should we believe anything that this administration tells us about anything ever again? I think we all recognize. <laughs> Great question. And I think the Pentagon has been very, very honest with themselves about uh, the. Um, the challenge to, to, to credibility by what by what has transpired here and by what and by uh, uh, how 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 hard it was for them to be fully transparent with the American people. I think we all recognize that. And and wait, wait now, just give me a second now. I, I know you got another one coming here, but but we all recognize that this didn't unfold the way it should have on so many levels not just the notification process up the chain of command but the transparency issue we all recognize that and and i think we all want to make sure we learn from that i uh, it's up to you and your colleagues and it's up to the american people to determine you know how much they're going uh, to ascribe what happened here to our credibility on every single issue but in in every way Secretary Austin has been an exceptional defense secretary, and he still has the full faith and confidence of the commander-in-chief. He has led uh, the department at an incredibly dangerous time for uh, our national security interests and those of our allies and partners. But if the administration is going to go to such great lengths to keep secrets about the defense secretary's health, how can anybody be certain that the administration would not go to the same lengths to keep secret problems with President Biden's health in the future? If 
if you could logically argue, and you can't, but if you could logically argue that the administration... years old. Wait a second. Just give me a second What's here, Bub. I'll get there. If, if the administration Listen, made some sort of Machiavellian effort uh, across the board to, to, to keep this from getting public, then I think your question has merit and, and certainly is a fair one. I don't think it's a fair one because that's not what happened here, Peter. What happened here is the Secretary of Defense, uh, for whatever reason, I can't answer the question why, uh, that information wasn't shared, wasn't shared widely in the department, and it worse? certainly wasn't shared with you the United it's, it's not good. It's certainly not good, which is why, again, we want to learn from this. We want to, we want to make sure that it doesn't happen again. We got to go around here. We want to make sure it doesn't happen again, this Peter. This was suboptimal, as you said, and given the commitment to transparency there you go. that the administration has, how do you square that with the confidence that the president expresses? All right, 855-839-1210 is the number if you want to weigh in today on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. This is a big deal. This Austin story is not going away. And uh, the administration that pledged to be the most transparent in American history obviously has some splaining to do. No doubt about that. Uh, 855-839-1210. Listen, Emmons Roofing and Siding, you know this weather out, this storm that King Philip the Unaccountable has already declared a state of emergency for, is a good reminder that your roof is essential, right? And so are the windows and doors in your home. And Emmons Roofing can deal with all of it for you. Emmons Roofing and Siding has been delivering excellence for for decades and for me personally for seven years i've used them for seven years they did my roof my windows my doors and emmons also does kitchen and bathroom remodeling and we have them remodel my bathroom remodel the kitchen they did a fantastic job i'm thrilled with the work that emmons did matt and his wife stephanie are there for you their entire team is dedicated to outstanding customer service so reach out to them today by going to emmonsroofing.com if you have a shore house make sure you get that shore house inspected the roof before uh winter is over because any damage is going to get only worse when the warm air hits so emmons can take a look at it for you and they'll give you a free estimate they'll never tell you you need a new roof if you don't but if you do you'll get a lifetime warranty on that roof just like i have i love the great work emmons does and i'm so grateful for their friendship so just go to emmonsroofing.com e-m-m-o-n-s they serve pennsylvania new jersey delaware and the jersey shore emmonsroofing.com Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. So, you know, last night I was supposed to go on Jesse Waters' show, Jesse Waters' prime time on Fox News. But on my way to go change, I got a call from Jack, his producer, and he said, uh, the news just came out that they're keeping William Penn. The National Park Service made the announcement, and Josh Shapiro is taking credit for it, much like he took credit for 95 getting rebuilt. Uh, So we're not doing this segment tonight, but... You are our Philly guy, Rich, so we will be in touch. So that's what happened last night. If you were tuning in, um, that's just what... And look, these things happen sometimes. You know, in in the world of breaking news and the world of ever-changing events, it's not the first time. It's not going to be the last time either. So, you know, I'm always grateful when they reach out to me and ask me to come on their shows. And if I uh, can do it, I always will. If I can't... Or if it doesn't work out because of timing or something else, well, then there there you go. Uh, so the question that John Kirby just got regarding Lloyd Austin and the cancer diagnosis and the fact that the president did not know this, 
Here's the question that Kirby was asked just a few moments ago at the White House press briefing. Take a listen. Uh, I still don't have the audio for it. Oh, Sorry. okay. Just, just, yeah. That's okay. Uh, the question was, the president didn't learn about this for a month after the diagnosis in early December. Quite simply, does the president think that's acceptable? Kirby answered by saying it's not optimal. Okay, it's not optimal. Now they're going to keep uh, Lloyd Austin. They're not. He's not going to. They're not, they're, this administration doesn't hold anybody accountable for anything. I mean, obviously, Mayorkas, the border's a disaster. So it's not like they're actually going to do anything about this. But I do think it's 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 just telling the, the Biden administration is a fiasco. It's a fiasco, and it, it's just par for the course with this administration. It really is. We in the middle of uh, Lloyd Austin just disappearing, the Secretary of Defense. We had. Uh, dozens of attacks by the Iranian-backed Houthis attacking our ships. We have this whole story of Putin bringing nukes to Belarus or wherever he was moving them. I mean, all these things are happening, and the SecDef is just missing. And doesn't tell anybody. And there's no chain of command at the Pentagon. Nobody knows what to do, and nobody lets the commander-in-chief know. It's a freaking disaster is what it is. But this, this entire administration is a disaster. And, you know, I keep thinking and I've been telling you, I don't think Joe Biden's going to be the candidate because he's not acting like one. You know, candidates would be this is a moment for the president to look extremely presidential and come out and fire Lloyd Austin. And look, if, you, if you're worried about the racism thing, you can always find somebody else to replace him with, who you know, checks all the DEI boxes. But just like how the president, if he was really running for president, could would order the National Guard down to the southern border to secure it. And he would stand up there and he'd say, look, there's no posse comitatus issue here. This is our border. We got to secure it. It's national security. That's the end of it. I mean, there, there's lots of things Biden could be doing that would look presidential if he actually was running for president. But I've told you, I don't think he's actually running for president. So I think the problem here is that we have a guy who, and the Democrats know he's a disaster because he's a disaster for all those reasons. And that's where they are, and they're screwed. I mean, they are really in a bad spot right now. So yeah, the Michelle Obama conspiracy theories swirl for those reasons. And I know, I know it's probably unlikely. I'm just sharing, my job is to share with you the political news of the day. So if there's all these stories out there about Michelle Obama not helping Joe Biden and the Obamas have decided it's time for him to go and there's these rumors that it's because they want her to be the candidate, I have to, it's my job to bring that to you. That's why I'm here. That and my spectacular political analysis, which more times than not is always spot on. Sometimes I get it wrong, but not often. I'm not making predictions because you cannot, this is the kind of thing it's very difficult to predict. I'm not making predictions. All I'm saying is that I would not be surprised at all, in the least, if that's how this played out. I'm not saying it's going to. I'm just saying I would not be surprised in the least if that's how this plays out. And we'll see. And by the way, Ray Epps, uh, the guy who told everybody, tomorrow we go in the Capitol. We go in the Capitol. All of those things. Ray Epps today was given the ultimate slap on the wrist. He was given one-year probation. He has to pay 500 bucks and do 100 hours of community service. That's right. The guy who incited people the night before and the day of the ultimate slap on the wrist. we got a big 4 o'clock hour coming up. Trump's case about immunity in court. We'll break it down. Don't go away. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGN.
HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. Iowa caucuses are just six days away. Whoa, six days away. What's going to happen? And uh, Chris Christie has no money. Big giant goose egg is what he has. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Great to have you with us. And a lot to talk about with the Trump immunity case in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals today. Are presidents immune from their actions as president? Here to discuss with us, Zach Smith joins the show. Zach is a legal fellow and manager of the Supreme Court and appellate advocacy program in the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Jack, thank you for joining. Zach, excuse me. Thank you for joining us here in Philadelphia. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. My pleasure. So, first of all, give us the 30,000-foot view on what the question is before the court. Yeah, so essentially the question is, it's long been established a principle of uh, constitutional law that presidents can't be prosecuted or held civilly liable for official actions they take while in office. And so Jack Smith obviously is bringing one of the several prosecutions against Donald Trump uh, for his efforts in the wake of the 2020 election. Essentially, Jack Smith is saying they violated the law. He's being prosecuted for that. Well, Donald Trump is saying that his actions after the 2020 election fell within the outer perimeter of his official duties. And as a result, he is immune from prosecution. And that is the issue uh, that the Court of Appeals heard arguments in today. And now this idea that you can hold presidents criminally liable and Trump brought up drone strikes. And I mean, I brought this up earlier as well. Uh, Barack Obama used drone strikes to kill American citizens while he was president. His argument was they were terrorists and he had the authority to do so. You know, what if you had a United States attorney who disagreed and said uh, there's no statute of limitations on murder? We're going to bring Obama before a federal uh, jury. I mean, it would be insane. But if the court says presidents don't have criminal immunity for their actions while they're in in office, office. I think this is going to be a situation where almost every president is going to wind up facing a federal jury at some point in the future. Yeah, that's certainly a concern. It's one of the major points that President Trump's lawyers made in court today, that essentially, if presidents were not immune for their actions while in office, you get into this tit-for-tat situation. You know, what's good for the goose today is good for the gander tomorrow, and was subject them to many forms of prosecution, potentially, after they leave office. The other issue you brought up is the other aspect of this argument that Donald Trump's lawyers made today. They said, look, we're not saying that presidents cannot be held accountable for their actions while in office, but that the Constitution provides an explicit mechanism for doing so. Presidents have to be impeached. And if they're tried and convicted by two thirds of the Senate, they can be removed from office. And if they are impeached, tried and convicted and removed from office, then they can be criminally prosecuted. But without those first two steps, uh, the criminal prosecution cannot follow. Yeah, that's a great point. And if the Congress chooses not to impeach a president, that's Congress choosing not to bring charges, basically. 
And that's the end of it. If the, if the Congress impeaches the president, they have a trial in the Senate and the president's not convicted. Uh, that's also uh, the end of it, because Congress chose to not convict the president for the the offenses that they were he was he was charged with in the House, which, you know, brings up another point here, too, when you're involving due process. If you're going to argue that Trump has had due process like Colorado and Maine are arguing uh, by virtue of their states looking at this and determining the 14th Amendment. And I know that this is a separate issue, but nevertheless, right. I mean, the question really is, is all this going to go forward? Uh, wouldn't you, I mean, couldn't you make an argument that, yeah, Trump did have due process. He had it in the Senate. He had a trial and they found him not guilty. They acquitted him. So that's that's it. It's over. I mean, the situation is over. You, you, you can't now try him in, in a state court, even though it wasn't even really a trial. You can't do that because it, it, the Senate had the authority at the time and they acquitted Trump. Well, keep in mind, Rich, you know, ordinarily when we talk in criminal law, if someone is tried for an offense, they are acquitted for that offense, meaning they're found not guilty by a jury of their peers, double jeopardy attaches. Our Constitution prohibits right. someone being tried twice for the same crime. And so in this sense, it's kind of an odd situation that you've already had Donald Trump, who has been tried by the Senate. That's what it is. It's a trial. It's by a different body than we typically think of as a jury pool. But the senators were essentially acting as a jury pool. They acquitted him of this conduct of these charges and yet now you have jack smith essentially trying to bring a federal criminal prosecution as you mentioned you have the uh, removal from the ballot in colorado the removal from the ballot in maine efforts in other states ongoing as well uh where donald trump has never been convicted of committing rebellion or insurrection and in fact the only quasi-judicial body to even consider those charges the senate during the impeachment trials actually acquitted him of that conduct and so i think these issues and others are, you know, one of the many reasons that so many people are so uncomfortable with all of these uh, prosecutions, all of these lawsuits, all of these efforts to keep Donald Trump off of the ballot in 2024. Zach, if I could, I'd like to play a clip for you. This was uh, one of the big moments today during court. It's an exchange between the judge, Florence Pan. And Trump attorney D. John Sauer, where the judge asked a series of hypothetical questions involving a presidential assassination. Uh, I'd like to get your comments on that. Take a listen. But your position is that he can't be prosecuted for that unless he's impeached. That was as long as it's an official act. I mean, in certain cases, purely private conduct under Clinton against Jones, he'd be subject to prosecution for that as long as he's not in office. But as long as it's official. Could a president order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival? That's an official act in order to seal Team Six. He, he would have to be and would speedily be, you know, uh, uh, impeached and convicted before the criminal what prosecution. If you what if proceed. you weren't? There would be no criminal prosecution, no criminal liability for that. Chief Justice's opinion in Marbury against Madison and uh, uh, and our Constitutional tradition and the plain language of the impeachment judgment clause all clearly presuppose that what the founders were concerned about was not. I asked you a yes or no, yes or no question. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached, would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. And so, so, so your answer is, is no. Is, 
My answer is qualified. Yes, there is a political process that have to occur under our, the structure of our Constitution, which require impeachment and conviction by the Senate. In these exceptional cases, as the OLC memo itself points out from the Department of Justice, you'd expect a speedy impeachment and conviction. But what the founders were much more worried about than using criminal prosecution to discipline presidents was what uh, James Madison calls in Federalist Number 47, the, you know, the, the newfangled and artificial treasons. They were much more concerned about the abuse of the criminal process for political purposes to disable the presidency from factions and political opponents. And of course, that's exactly what we see in this case. Now, the judge went on to to summarize by saying, given that you're conceding that presidents can be criminally prosecuted under certain circumstances, doesn't that narrow the issues before us? All of your other arguments seem to fall away. Uh, Zach Smith is here from the Heritage Foundation. He joins me today to talk about this case. Zach, what are your thoughts on that exchange? Yeah, look, unfortunately, I think that was a judge trying to get a, a gotcha moment uh, with President Trump's lawyers. Uh, uh, judge Pan is a Biden appointee, a relatively recent Biden appointee to the Court of Appeals. Uh, but look, this goes back to what we were talking about before, Rich. You know, the question isn't whether or not a president will either be held accountable for his or her actions or not held accountable uh, for those actions. The question is, what is the appropriate mechanism? What's the constitutional mechanism for doing so? And I think John Sauer, who, by the way, is a phenomenal lawyer, former solicitor general in the state of Missouri, uh, he said that a prosecution could follow if the proper channels were followed, meaning that there was an impeachment, a trial, a conviction, and removal from office. And so without those uh, procedural requirements in place, President Trump's legal argument is that the prosecution uh, cannot move forward. Yeah, and I I agree with that analysis, because otherwise we get back to the Barack Obama drone strike problem. You know, the question of whether or not Obama really had the authority to to execute an American citizen without due process, without a trial and absentia, with, with, without anything like that. I mean, we, we get we get into that problem of looking back on this and saying you exceeded your authority because this person wasn't really a terrorist. It turns out, you know, uh, you were wrong about that. Or even if he was a terrorist, that's your opinion. He's still in, he's still innocent under the eyes of the law. You don't have the right to just kill him. You know, if 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 if, if Congress wanted to take that up at the time and say Obama exceeded his authority, that would have been more than appropriate to go back now and say, I think you're guilty of murder and we're going to charge you as such would be insane. And I mean, I, it would just, the entire system would fall apart. Presidents would wind up and, and, and who knows where this would stop. You know, if a president, uh, you know, could could Bush be charged with with uh, torture? I mean, you know, how like how far do we go with this? And that's why if it doesn't happen during the years he's president, then you just have to say that that was Congress not believing it rose to the level of impeachment. That's that's how I would I would look at this. And certainly now the argument's going to be made. Well, what if Congress didn't have all the details? What you know, what if what if something came to light after the president left office? And so therefore, Congress had no way to adjudicate the matter. Zach Smith, what would your answer be to that? Look, I think one of the reasons we're seeing all of these new legal issues, very consequential legal issues being brought before courts today, and eventually they're going to make their way up to the Supreme Court if they haven't already, is that these types of prosecutions, these types of lawsuits, these types of efforts to keep a leading candidate off of the ballot in the Colorado and Maine instances, they've never taken place before. Because for so many years, really going back to the founding of our republic, uh, you know, 
political leaders on both sides of the aisle have recognized, again, what you're saying, Rich, that if you engage in these types of tactics, uh, they're going to be used against you at some point in the future. And unfortunately, uh, the Biden Justice Department and others on the left have seemingly disregarded uh, that very wise advice, have moved forward with these cases, these prosecutions. And so now I think it highlights why many of the procedural safeguards that are in place are so very important, because if not, uh, yeah, I think that is a very real concern uh, that the president will be unable uh, to adequately do his or her job in the future. Last question for you. In terms of timing of this, does this judge, uh, does she rule by herself on this? Does the entire circuit have to weigh in? And then ultimately it's going to probably wind back at the Supreme Court. But how does this play out in terms of a ruling? Yeah, so keep in mind, Jack Smith, uh, he wants this to take place as quickly as possible. His goal, I think, is pretty clear, is to get to trial well in front of the 2024 election. Uh, Donald Trump lost at the district court, the trial court level. Jack Smith went straight to the Supreme Court. He tried to bypass the D.C. Court of Appeals, where this argument was heard today, in an effort to speed up a resolution. The Supreme Court justices said, no, we're not going to take it. That's not the ordinary course of business. And so they left it with the Court of Appeals. This is a three-judge panel. Uh, The three-judge panel will have to confer, they'll have to take a vote, they'll have to write an opinion. That could take some time. Then two things can happen. Either uh, whoever loses can ask the entire D.C. Circuit to hear the case, which I doubt will happen, or they can go straight to the U.S. Supreme Court and ask the U.S. Supreme Court uh, to take up and hear this case. And I think, again, Jack Smith wants this case to be resolved very quickly in an effort to get to trial before the uh, upcoming election, which I think is very difficult at this point. And I think Donald Trump uh, wants the issues to be aired uh, as fully and completely as possible. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, if, if the court comes back and says Trump does not have immunity, Trump's going to appeal that to the Supreme Court. Uh, I imagine that the Supreme Court is going to is going to hear that case, no question about it. If the court comes back and says the president's presidents do have immunity, obviously the government's going to appeal that. Jack Smith, a special counsel, no relation to you, Zach Smith. I want to point that out. Is going no, to appeal. I appreciate that. that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no problem. Of course, yeah, uh, he's going to appeal that to the Supreme Court. Of course, the Supreme Court may not may not listen to that appeal, and then which case then that that judgment would stand. So uh, we shall see how all this goes, but it seems like his dream of getting Donald Trump on trial prior to Super Tuesday uh, from a timing perspective is probably not going to play out here. Yeah, I think that's right. Obviously, I think he would still at some point probably like to get Donald Trump to trial uh, before the election if Donald Trump uh, becomes the nominee, as you know he's doing very well in the polls right now. Uh, but look, you're right. The Supreme Court is already hearing two cases this term that implicate directly or indirectly issues surrounding Donald Trump. And I think whatever happens in this case, whatever the judges decide, the justices are likely going to be asked to weigh in on this very important issue as well. And I said last question, but I lied. One more question. If the, if the court comes back and says Trump has immunity as president, does the entire Jack Smith prosecution go away? No, I think the justices will be asked to intervene uh, in that case. If the immunity decision is upheld, at least this specific prosecution in D.C. related to the aftermath of the 2020 elections, uh, I think would be significantly uh, hobbled, almost to the point of being non-existent uh, going forward. Zach Smith, appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. We'll have you on again, and thanks for the great work you do at the Heritage Foundation. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Good to be on with you. The Rich Zioli Show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT.
All right, ready to lose some weight, ready to get in shape, ready to look your best? Well, NJ Diet can help you. NJ Diet can do that for you because NJ Diet is all about losing weight contractually guaranteed 20 to 40 plus pounds in only 40 days guaranteed. No shots, no hormones, no prepackaged foods, no surgery. Come on, you don't want to be taking shots for the rest of your life, do you? Of course not. So lose weight once and for all and keep it off with NJ Diet. They use your hair, saliva samples, DNA to figure out a plan that works specific to your biochemistry. And then the weight loss is guaranteed. In writing, 20 to 40 plus pounds in only 40 days. And you will keep it off too. That's the best part about it. And there's a location nearby you today or call 855-5-NJ-DIET. 855-5-NJ-DIET or go to njdiet.com. You can do this. This is your time. This is the year everybody makes their resolutions about losing weight. But a lot of times you don't really have a plan. You don't have a game plan. Don't make that game plan be shots or hormones. No, do it the all natural way, the right way, the contract guaranteed way njdiet.com and lose the weight for good the zioli show on your schedule from talk radio 1210 wpht in the free odyssey app all right on twitter at rich zioli thanks for being here today on a uh, Tuesday afternoon, with rain coming. King Philip the Unaccountable, his royal rugness has already declared a state of emergency exists. So be careful out there. Uh, the governor is also giving his state of the state address today. So I'm sure we'll have lots of horns and trumpets for tomorrow's show. Uh, we'll look into all that for you as well. On the federal level, of course, we have this uh, this whole Iowa caucus thing coming up. The New Hampshire primary. Nikki Haley is now apparently within striking distance of Donald Trump. But Chris Christie has 12%. So if Chris Christie were to get out, and assuming that his anti-Trump position this entire time has led to every person backing him who just hates Trump's guts, theoretically then, if he were to give his support to Nikki Haley, you could make a plausible argument that Haley then would pick up Chris Christie's support. In which case then... She's a lot closer to Trump in New Hampshire than Ron DeSantis is. In which case, then, it's very obvious, then, that Ron DeSantis has to save his uh, his political reputation for 2028. And I think that the, the way this plays out could go one of two ways. But I think the big, the big thing is that we're looking at this as ultimately going to be a two-person race. It, it, I think people thought originally it was going to be DeSantis versus Trump. It's not going to be DeSantis versus Trump. It's going to be, it's going to be Trump versus Haley. Christie will throw his support to Nikki Haley. DeSantis will throw his support to Trump because he's got to recognize at some point that if he does not, if he does not get out of this race, he can't, he he can't, he can't win. I mean, again, I like the guy. I think he's a great governor. I think he's, he's got, he's probably the front runner, probably the front runner uh, for 2028 for the Republicans. But if, but if he stays in this longer, he's going to wind up causing so much damage that, Trump voters will never, ever back him. So at some point, he's got to just get off the pot. You know what I mean? In which case, then it's going to be a two-person race. And it's already starting to get ugly between Haley and, and Trump, as you can imagine. Democrat voters in New Hampshire are registering as Republicans to stop Trump, supposedly, uh, since the Democrat primary in that state is is ruined because uh, there's not going to be a primary. So the, apparently that's what's happening, and they're, they're voting for—they're so supporting Nikki Haley, according to— some rumors that are out there.
And this is uh, some audio on that situation. This is from the Wall Street Journal podcast. New Hampshire voter Talia Flores speaks at Wall Street Journal's Ryan Knutson. Explains that because she can't vote for her preferred candidate, Joe Biden, she has changed party affiliation. Biden did not file to run in the New Hampshire primary because he's not a real candidate. So anyway, this is what she said here. Cut number four. One of those frustrated voters is Thalia Flores, who you heard from at the start of the episode. After years of voting with the Democrats, this year, Thalia says she's switching things up. I decided several months ago that I thought, you know what, if my vote as a Democrat isn't really going to change things, then I'm going to vote in the Republican primary and at least try to get a candidate that I can respect and that I can live with as opposed to Donald Trump. Fascinatingly, after going to all the Republican candidates' town halls and meeting all of them, I actually came to like Nikki Haley and Chris Christie. Now, I don't agree with them on every policy so remember I told you the other day that there's a lot of theory out there that the Democrats are, they'd be okay with Nikki Haley. Like, let's say, for example, the whole thing with uh, with the switcheroo doesn't, doesn't happen. You know, Biden's just too stubborn. They can't get the guy out of the race. And the Michelle Obama thing is not going to pan out. And they know that they're stuck with Kamala Harris. And so it's going to be Biden. But they know he's going to lose it, it, to Trump. So Democrats could live with Nikki Haley. She'll keep the war in Ukraine going. They'll be okay with that. I told you that theory the other day. And this voter proves that. She says, I like Nikki Haley. I like Chris Christie. I could live with them. So I'm going to vote for them. I'm going to try to help them win. This is something like Rush talked about years ago, Operation Chaos. Remember that? Remember Operation Chaos when Rush talked about Republicans registering as Democrats in these primaries to try to stop? Um, I guess it was Obama at the time. You remember Operation Chaos very well. Well, this is sort of similar to that. You know, Democrats now, since there is not a primary on their side, and many of these states let you change your party affiliation or just vote for whoever you want, they may be doing Operation Chaos, hoping that if if Nikki Haley becomes a nominee, they could live with that. You know, if they they could they if if Haley winds up beating Joe Biden, they can they'll live with this. The deep state will be okay with that. She'll keep the war in Ukraine going. She's not going to make any big sweeping changes, and most importantly, she's not Donald Trump. So they're, they can they would probably be just fine with that. The same with Chris Christie, too, but obviously that's not going to happen. So when I told you the other day that the Republican establishment was backing Nikki Haley, I was right. And I've been telling you that for a while. But in addition to that, it's not just the Republican establishment. You have to wonder now if the Democrat establishment is behind this, too. And it's not just some random voter uh, on a podcast named Talia Flores. It's actually an organized effort by the Democrat Party to get Nikki Haley to be the nominee. Remember, they thought Trump was the easy one to beat. They believed that they could beat Trump, so they did everything to prop him up. Everything. All these legal actions are about making Trump the nominee. Except now they realize that that's blown up in their face, that Trump's going to win. So now the deep state, the masters of the universe, the commanders of both parties, of the giant uniparty in D.C., they've turned around and they went, okay, we got a problem here. 
We got a big problem. This guy is going to win. We're going to be stuck with him for another four years. And this time around, it's like Jaws to the revenge. This time it's personal. He's going to come after us. So we have to stop him. So what do we do? Well, Biden can't win. Can we swap him out? No. Why not? Well, because Michelle Obama doesn't really want to do it. And uh, we can't we can't go with Kamala Harris. And we got a woke problem if we just dump her. So we're stuck. What do we do? Well, then get behind Nikki Haley. Get behind Nikki Haley and then know that at least Nikki Haley is going to play it safe. She's not going to go in there and, and, and dismantle the deep state. She's not going to get out of Ukraine. You'll all make your money in the Ukraine war. Don't worry about it. And in fact, she may even get, uh, start some new wars. You know, she'll 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 be good with trade. You know, she loves the globalist stuff. You you'll be good. And you have to wonder now how much of that is actually being organized by the Democrat Party. Is it is it really just a random Democrat voter who just came up with this idea on her own, you know, sitting around one day in her house in New Hampshire thinking, you know what, since I don't really have anyone to vote for, I'll try to help get Nikki Haley the nomination. Really? Because it sounds to me like maybe this might be just a little bit more organized than we think. And Haley is not holding back. She is going after Trump big time. Now, I was asked a question today. Do you think that Trump would ever pick her as his VP? Uh, I hope to God, no. I hope not after the way she's acting here. But I think that Trump supporters would be very upset. They would still they would still vote for him. But I think they'd be upset. And I hope it doesn't happen that way. But Nikki Haley is not. I don't think she's trying to run here to be vice president. I mean, I think that it's very obvious now. She's got the support of the establishment, maybe both establishments. And she is just going to go after Trump now, full speed ahead. Will Chris Christie drop out prior to New Hampshire, send his support her way? Maybe she can pull off a win in New Hampshire, throw the whole thing into chaos. Chris Christie is all about Chris Christie. Like most politicians, he's all about himself, right? So the question is, what, what deal will be struck? Does he want to be chief of staff? Does he want to be her running mate? But he knows that it's over. I mean, after New Hampshire, he's got 12%. He's not going to win New Hampshire. He's, his campaign has already said, much like in 2016, New Hampshire, is it's live or die. That's it. You don't go. To, you don't win New Hampshire, it's over. Well, he can't win New Hampshire. He's not going to win New Hampshire. He, he knows that. So now it's about what, how, do, how do I leverage myself? How do I position myself to come out of this as a kingmaker? In 2016, he decided to stay until New Hampshire. And then he quickly after that backed Trump. But this time around, it's a much different world. If he really wants to be on Team Haley, Team Haley's probably reaching out to him right now and saying, look, you got two options here. You either lose in New Hampshire and Nikki loses in New Hampshire too, or you throw your support to her now and she has a chance of beating Trump. Now, by the way, I don't think she still beats Trump. I think Trump still wins New Hampshire, but obviously anything's possible. Politics is the art of the possible. I still think he wins New Hampshire. I still think Trump's going to be the nominee. But I'm telling you right now, from having been in these conversations in the past, not now, I'm not in any any conversations now with any any candidates whatsoever, but having been in those conversations in, in, in the past, that's what's being said. Haley's people are calling Christie's people, and they're talking to guys like Mike Duhame, who's Christie's top guy, and they're saying to him, here's the deal. She's got a shot. She's within striking distance. Christie's nomination makes it an even playing field with Trump. And then if she wins New Hampshire... He's golden. She can go all the way. This is what they're telling him. And you are going to be right there. What do you want? What is it going to take for you to throw your support behind her? And he'll, he'll, as long as, as long as they promise him whatever he wants, 
He's a pragmatic politician. He's probably going to do that. Does that mean Nikki Haley really wins New Hampshire? I don't think so. But she may come close. I mean, she may be close enough where then the establishment doubles down and maybe now then the Democrat establishment that may be holding back might double down even more. And so the whole double secret probation thing may be happening where both establishments now have said, all right, this is our chance to come together. You know, the uh, Mike Lee always says it's a law firm of, of McConnell and Schumer. And you know, he always makes the joke about the Uniparty. Well, the Uniparty comes together and says, all right, look, Biden may win, Biden may lose, Haley may win, Haley may lose. We can live with either one of these two. So let's just figure this out. How do we make her the nominee? How do we do it? And maybe we put it over the top. If he if he's a doddering old fool and we're going to be stuck with Kamala Harris, maybe we just maybe we just back her. I wouldn't be surprised if those conversations are happening because politics is all about. Remember, I told, I've told you this before. Even though you turn on the TV and you think everybody in D.C. hates each other, they don't hate each other. They all get along. They all go to the Capitol Grill together. They all get their steaks and their martinis and they all hang out. They're all buds. They're all buddies and besties. And so I mean, they can live with anything. As long as they keep, as long as the money keeps coming in, they're fine with it. You know what I mean? They're okay. They can live with anything. But here's Haley ripping Trump at a town hall. Cut number three. Look, I think President Trump was the right president at the right time. I agree with a lot of his policies. But rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. And y'all know I'm right. Chaos follows him. And we... We can't be a country in disarray and the world on fire and go through four more years of chaos. We won't survive it. You don't fix Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. That's her argument going into New Hampshire. Now, remember, in all of this, uh, the New Hampshire Attorney General's office is warning the Democrat National Committee over voter suppression. In the midst of all of this that's happening right now, New Hampshire's attorney general is warning the DNC over voter suppression after the party lambasted the primary. A DNC committee previously called the state primary detrimental and meaningless, drawing a rebuke from the New Hampshire attorney general's office. And what he's saying right now is he's saying that the Democrat National Committee is engaging in unlawful voter suppression after the National Party dismissed the state's upcoming primary as meaningless. Assistant Attorney General Brendan O'Donnell fired off a cease and desist order to the DNC, saying that instructing state Democrats to educate the public that the primary is meaningless violates the state's voter suppression laws. The state warning comes after the DNC's Rules and Bylaws Committee scolded New Hampshire Democrats for selecting delegates for the National Convention this past weekend. Now, again, maybe they did that so that voters could switch to be Republican, and then vote in the primary for Nikki Haley. Uh, nothing would surprise me at this point in life. This is the big story of the day today. It's brought to you by Venaria Dental. My buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, get the smile that you deserve with VenariaDental.com. V-A-N-A-R-I-A, VenariaDental.com. By the way, uh, Aaron Rodgers has said he is not going to apologize to Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel wants an apology after Aaron Rodgers suggested, joking, that uh, Jimmy Kimmel could be on the list, the Epstein list. 
He joked about the Epstein documents to be released and said there's a lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, that are really hoping that doesn't come out. So Kimmel lost it, threatening lawsuits, and he melted down. And last night he attacked Aaron Rodgers in in a scathing monologue. Aaron Rodgers today came out and said he will not apologize to somebody on ABC. That was his answer today. Aaron Rodgers said that. And, of course, it's only going to infuriate Jimmy Kimmel even more. He said, quote, I don't have any apologies, not for that guy from ABC. That's what Aaron Rodgers said today. 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. What do you think, Henry? The Epstein list. Does Aaron Rodgers owe Jimmy Kimmel an apology? Uh, Probably not, no. Nah, right? I mean, he, he made a joke. He, Jimmy got a little hurt over it, and I don't know. I think it's an overreaction on Jimmy Kimmel's part. Also, we speculated as well on this show. About people. Mm-hmm. And that happens. And then the other thing, too, that I want to remind everybody of is that uh, Jimmy Kimmel was pals with, like, like, he was, like, hanging around with Epstein Chef. Yeah, it was Adam Perry Lang. Right. They both shared, I guess, the same personal chef. Although, obviously, yeah. Epstein had him uh, first. So that's kind of weird, right? I'm sure. Well, that's obviously what Aaron Rodgers was referencing. So I don't really understand how Jimmy Kimmel could actually file a lawsuit expecting to win. Yeah, there's an old saying that is uh, Ophelia doth protest too much, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, like he's nice... he's he's taking this way too far. I think he's screaming like a lot, you know. Well, a nice eight minute monologue, you know. Yeah, it was an eight minute monologue going after uh, Aaron Rodgers last night. Plus, it was clearly a joke. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's on the Pat McAfee show. Like, come on, what are we doing here? <laughs> it's not exactly hard news on the yeah. Pat McAfee show. Yeah. Jimmy Kimmel's just annoying. Jimmy Kimmel is annoying, and I don't find him funny. And it's amazing how he is, has not been canceled for being on the Man Show. Yeah, he wore blackface on that show. He wore blackface. They used to have the uh, women dancing on, uh, jumping on trampolines. Remember? Yes, I do. And uh, they would drink beer, and they would they would make all kinds of sexist jokes. Adam Carolla. Adam Carolla has never had to apologize because Adam Carolla does not pretend to be something he's not. Jimmy Kimmel made this big, like George Stephanopoulos, and when ABC hired him, he suddenly became this woke guy, you know. Um, but that's that's where he started, and he doesn't. He's okay. Like they don't bring that up. His past never comes up, which is interesting. So he does seem to get a free pass. He does, right? I think it's, uh, to your point, it's almost certainly just because his politics align with everyone else in Hollywood. If he were more conservative, um, I'm certain he would he would have been canceled by now. Well, let's think about it. The Man Show, back on Comedy Central in the day, which was a very funny show, uh, they would sit in barca loungers and they would drink beer and they would watch women do sexy things and they would make jokes. And the two guys who hosted it were Adam Carolla and Jimmy Kimmel. Adam Carolla hosts one of the most popular conservative podcasts in the country. He's done stuff with Dennis Prager. He's been a uh, he's been you know he's huge, but he's never changed his political beliefs. He's also uh, the star of that new Daily Wire cartoon, Mister Bertram, I think, which is oh, coming that's right. out yes later this month. So he's doing he's doing stuff with uh, with with that, which is which is a big deal. In other words, there is zero point zero chance. Adam Carolla would ever be asked to host a show on ABC. 0.0. Oh, yeah, no chance. Absolutely no chance. None. And so that, that's what I mean. It's like, you know, Jimmy Kimmel, the, his, his politics align now. 
So there you go. Boom. That's done. He's okay. They'll pretend like the man show never happened. Adam Carolla, no chance in hell. Never. If Jimmy Kimmel dropped dead tomorrow, and I'm not hoping for that. I'm just saying, if he were to drop dead tomorrow, it's not going to be, we'll get his old co-host Adam Carolla to host the show. (laughs) Yeah, there's absolutely no chance that would ever happen. Jimmy Kimmel is safe and unfunny. Adam Carolla is not safe and is funny. They're all unfunny and safe. No, Adam Carolla is genuinely funny, I think. Well, I'm, I'm not saying Carol. I, I, I mean, like, funny. the ones who actually have, like, a show on, like, a major network. Oh, yeah. They're all, like, you mean those late-night shows? Yeah, they're mean, all hyper-politicized. They're just about as irrelevant as, like, award shows. Like, who cares about those? They're not funny. They're, they're not, not funny. Like, the Golden Globes. That guy bombed. Oh, he's getting a Joe ton Floyd. of backlash now for that joke he made about um, Taylor Swift. And I don't understand how it was but even was remotely it, offensive. It wasn't about Taylor Swift. It was about the NFL. I agree. I don't yeah. understand why anyone would. Like, I have the clip if you, if you want to hear it real quick, Rich. Yeah, let's let's do because I did not watch that stupid award show. And who's the guy that hosted? Joe Coy. I don't even know who that is. He's a comedian that evidently isn't all that funny, but he's getting a ton of backlash because he made a joke supposedly at Taylor Swift's offense uh, at, at Taylor Swift's expense. Um, oh. Here it is. You can judge whether or not it's offensive to Taylor Swift. Okay. As you know, we came on after a football doubleheader. Uh, The big difference between the Golden Globes and the NFL, on the Golden Globes, we have fewer camera shots of Taylor Swift. I swear. There's just more to go to here. Sorry about that. So he's getting in trouble for that stupid joke? Apparently it was offensive. And uh, Taylor Swift, if you see the video clip, she looks so angry that she was like sort of mocked uh, she did not play along at all and then all of the swifties i guess saw her uh, sour reaction and they all duplicated it on social media so now oh. this poor guy's in trouble for that joke which is so it's such that a tame joke, joke. He, just, he just stunk it wasn't it, funny i i feel bad for him though because apparently he only had he was booked to host 10 days before the show oh really that's yeah that's insane that's that's insane because another thing too when you think about it not only is this guy not funny that joke is so lame it doesn't even make fun of taylor swift it makes fun of the coverage of her at football games yeah i agree how does it even make fun of taylor swift is my question i don't know but she looks so angry in the clip and again yeah, well the swifties just sort of duplicated that exact same um uh, reaction Oh, the Swifties. I hate them. Stop saying that. We're going to be next. I don't care. We love Taylor Swift. We think she's wonderful. We love Taylor Swift. I walked downstairs today. My (laughs) wife was playing Taylor Swift. I said, what are you doing? What, why are you playing Taylor Swift? What, what are you, seven? The Swifties are going to come for you, Rich. Fine. They've already come for Joe Coy. You could be next. Fine. Bring it on, Swifties. <laughs> I trust the Zeoli Army will battle the Swifties with, in, with no problem whatsoever. There's too many of them. I don't know how many Swifties listen to conservative talk radio. Yeah, I got to be honest. I can't imagine there's a lot of crossover there. They're not the like too is that if you're a Swiftie uh, and you listen to this show, you have a sense of humor, whether you like Taylor Swift or not. That's probably true. I don't know. You know what I think? I think people should throw cheeseburgers at her. She's too skinny. <laughs> That's the problem. I wish people would throw cheeseburgers at me. I enjoy a free cheeseburger. Yeah, I bet you'd like that. <laughs> Yeah, you'd like that, wouldn't you? Would you like an undercooked uh, bat burger? I'll pass on that. With a uh, side of pangolin fries I, and a raccoon I, dog aioli? Yeah, no? I had, a, I had a big lunch, so uh, no thank you. Very generous no, that's of you a shame. Also, though.
You're missing out. Because speaking of undercooked bat burgers, Asanto Fauci, Anthony Fauci, the nation's leading infectious disease doctor, you always have to say that by law, uh, flip-flop during Congress grilling, the ex-White House doc ducked more than 100 questions about COVID and admits he approved the risky Wuhan coronavirus research proposal without reading it. I'll share you the details of that straight ahead. Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. Planes are grounded after that door plug blew out. I'll get into that with you. But there's some breaking news uh, around Hunter Biden wanted to share with you courtesy of the uh, New York Post. So apparently Hunter Biden knew all the people that bought his crappy art. I know. We're all surprised by this, right? We're all shocked. We're shocked to find this out. According to uh, the New York Post, despite all the claims by Hunter Biden that and the art dealer that it was a whole process and they didn't, they didn't have anything for Hunter to know who was buying the artwork and blah, 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 blah. Hunter Biden knew most of his art buyers, despite the phony Fugazi ethics plan, and this directly contradicts the White House, according to the art dealer. First son, Hunter Biden's Manhattan art dealer, shared details Tuesday about purchasers uh, of the first son's novice crappy artwork while contradicting the White House's claim that officials brokered an ethics arrangement to keep buyer identities anonymous to prevent corruption. George Burgays said that Hunter actually knew who bought about 70% of his crappy art, including Elizabeth Hirsch Naftali, whom the dealer revealed purchased works by the first son both before and after, scoring a prestigious appointment from President Biden. Hirsch Naftali, who scored repeated visits to the White House during the time frame in question, inked a $42,000 sale in February 2021 before her appointment that July by Joe Biden to the Commission for the Preservation of America's Heritage Abroad and then another for $52,000 in December of 2022. Berger also confirms that the first son was, was aware that Hollywood lawyer Kevin Morris who met Hunter at a political fundraiser in December 2019 before bankrolling his tax payments and living expenses was his top patron, buying $875,000 worth of art in a January 2023 deal. The White House's ethics agreement regarding Hunter Biden's art was a sham. The White House never facilitated any agreement despite saying the opposite to the public. George Burgays stated that he never had any communication with the White House about an agreement about Hunter Biden's crappy art and admitted Hunter Biden knew the identities of the individuals who purchased roughly 70% of his crappy art. The White House did not immediately offer comment on Burgays' testimony, which is expected to continue through the afternoon. It was not immediately clear if the art dealers uh, comprehensively provided provided by information after previously refusing to do so. He told committee members that during the closed-door deposition that Hollywood producer Lynette Phillips, who has hosted fundraisers for the elder Biden, introduced Hunter to Berger. Hunter has earned millions of dollars while his father was vice president in deals that are, of course, the focus of the House Republican-led impeachment inquiry, reportedly sold at least $1.3 million in art as of this past July. 
you know, most first-time artists make millions of dollars. They do. The term starving artist is a myth. Every person who begins as an artist gets rich just like that. True. I mean, it's true. It's true. Everyone you know who's an artist is rich. Everyone. It's true. True. Look it up. Uh, the Post previously reported that Hunter sold five prints for $75,000 each. He would blow paint through a straw. And that would, and he he would, you know, spit it and would land on a canvas. And they'd sell that for like a half a million dollars. The Picasso of our time had nothing to do with his father being president. Hunter sold five prints for $75,000 each, totaling $375,000 at an October 2021 Hollywood art show that controversially was attended by then LA mayor, Eric Garcetti, president Biden's then nominee to be ambassador to India. I'm sure nobody went to that with the idea that they could curry favor with either the president's son or the future ambassador to India. Unbelievable. Uh, Nancy calling the show today. Uh, hello, Nancy from Philadelphia. How are you today, my dear? Good, Rich. Long time no speak. Well, why um, is that, Nancy? Why have you not called me sooner? Well, that's a long story, Rich. All right. As long <laughs> as everything's okay. Yes. I really wish that every time um, people spoke about the many uh, political lawsuits against Trump, that they would also highlight the fact that the prosecutors have access to and are using unlimited amounts of our tax dollars to fund those prosecutions. Yeah. Oh, no question about it. I mean, remember how much the Mueller report cost, too? Don't forget all that. Yeah. Of course. And, and all of the impeachments and all of the investigations and everything else. So our tax dollars are being used by a political party to go against a political party that we may support. It's an excellent point you raise, Nancy, and uh, I hope people remember that because uh, what the, you know the government doesn't run out of money, it doesn't run out of time, doesn't have to look for new clients. Their attorneys can use your taxpayer dollars however they like, and there's no ramifications for it. And it's a damn shame, Correct. it really is. Correct. Well, thank you, Nancy. Have a wonderful day, and I appreciate the call. Thank you. All right, 855-839-1210. Quick check-in on social media by our friends at Cherry Hill Volvo. Uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 Bob Bob uh, uh, Gillis reminds us that Jimmy Kimmel used to have young girls in tight sweaters jump on trampolines. That is correct. Absolutely about that. And uh, Dusty Diamond sent out a clip of a very, very funny man show bit that they did, which was a kid selling beer. It was hysterical. Absolutely. Fred's sister-in-law says, uh-oh, Zioli Army versus Swifties. We have actual weapons. Just saying she's just kidding. Please. We don't need any more insurrections. All right. Thank you for our friends at Cherry Hill Volvo for doing the social media check-in. We do that throughout the show. I want to remind you, February 7th is our big event with author Terry Hayes. His new book, The Year of the Locust, is unbelievable. What an outstanding, amazing, truly riveting thriller. You are going to love it. So join us. To get tickets, go to TalkRadio1210's website, 1210WPHT.com. I have a link on Twitter. There's a link in our show Facebook page. And get your ticket. Me and Terry Hayes together. It's at Bryn Mawr. Uh, we'll have a great night together, February 7th. You don't want to miss it, all right? So please do that. And I also want to tell you about my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, because he is 
a great dentist and he is the master of dental implants. I'm going to see him very soon for my annual, you know, my, my biannual checkup or uh, is it biannual? Wait, twice a year, whatever it is. He's my doctor. He really is my dentist. People ask him all the time. Does Rich really come here? Yes, I really go there. And my whole family does as well. And Mama Zioli discovered him. This is your chance to give yourself the ultimate gift, which is a beautiful smile. A million-dollar smile, it's not going to cost you a million bucks. Dr. Venaria has two offices to serve you, Cinnamonson and Woodbury. And he's right over the bridge. And when it comes to complicated dental implants, there's simply nobody better. If you've had an estimate, please get a second opinion with my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria. Pediatric, general cosmetic dentistry, pain-free root canal treatment if necessary, uh, cosmetic dentistry, and of course, complicated dental procedures. That's his specialty. So you deserve a beautiful smile. What are you waiting for? Reach out to him today. Go to VenariaDental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter always live on the free Odyssey app the revolution will be broadcast this is the next generation of talk now this is the drive at 5 30 minutes of non-stop talk with Rich Zioli Journalists are caught on hot microphone making Trump assassination jokes. Ha, ha, ha. Very funny, right? And uh, Fauci doesn't remember a damn thing. But he did sign off on research for the WIV, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, uh, without really reading it. Yes, that's true. And uh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, come on, come on. Will we absolutely have a primary in New Hampshire that's a two-person race between Trump and Nikki Haley? Is that possible? Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today, 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Appreciate you being here with us on a busy Tuesday afternoon. Um, here's a, here's the thing. You know, I, I look at uh, the, the politics of 2024. And somebody said to me today, they said, how do you do it every day? And I said, I don't know, but I do know this. I do know, though, this year is going to fly by because it's going to be just a an absolute uh, 100 mile an hour every day from now until the end, until the election. And then potentially for weeks after the election. Tonight is Ron DeSantis' town hall from Iowa. Tomorrow is Trump's town hall, Trump's town hall on Fox News tomorrow at 9 p.m., uh, I, I, you know, I, I've said it before. I think Trump's going to be the nominee. I think that everything that's playing out that way shows that. And I think things happen that play right into Trump's hands. Like, again, the overreaction to January 6th. So Ray Epps was charged with uh, a, a, a very, very minor slap on the wrist. Even though the average sentence for January 6th protesters averages anywhere from two to three years, he got... One year probation has to pay $500 and do a hundred hours of community service. Now I'll get into more on Ray Epps later, but I just want to make the point that it's the overreaction of things like this MSNBC host, Jonathan Capehart, that wind up just playing right into Trump's hands. You know, the overreaction by the left, the fact that they can't let it go. I had a friend of mine who is not a Trump supporter in any way, shape or form. He's more, I mean, he's definitely, I would say center right. 
but certainly not as conservative as I am. But he's a great friend of mine, and we were talking about something, and he made the comment about, you know, it's really kind of hard to listen to the nonstop comments about January 6th when the Democrats were defending all the protests after George Floyd's death. I mean, they were on TV. This is what he said. You know, they were on TV going on about how these were mostly peaceful protesters and justifying it by, you know, 400 years of oppression and all the other things they did. It's like it's kind of hard to take all the outrage over January 6th that seriously. When the very same people were turning around during the summer of love of 2020, when people were burning down courthouses and burning down Wendy's and doing all these, you know, f- Molotov cocktails of police cars, and and they were defending that and justifying it. And I remember the Lesser Cuomo at the time said something about, you know, sometimes uh, political violence is justified. So you know, it, it it all seems phony. And when you have guys like this, Jonathan Capehart interviewing former Capitol Police officer Michael Fanone, who penned a book on the ransacking of the Capitol. Uh, and then he becomes overwhelmed with his emotions, can't hold back his tears. You just, you, you listen to this, you go, come on, like, enough already. You know what I mean? Like, like give it a break. But uh, cut number eight. I'm going to try to get through this. Um, thank you for what you did three years ago today. Um, Please tell me your thoughts um, on this third anniversary. He had to pull out a tissue. He literally had to pull out a tissue. I don't know if it was a tissue or a hanky. Do you know if it was a tissue or a hanky, Matt DeSantis? It looked like a tissue. A tissue. Good, because hankies are disgusting. (laughs) Yeah, that is true, actually. I never thought of that. That is vile. You're just continually blowing your nose into the same piece of of cloth. That's pretty good. Yeah, you're putting it back in your pocket, and you wash it, and then... (laughs) It doesn't really die you know, that, because, I mean, our, our washing machines can't get hot enough to kill anything anymore because of all the government regulations. So you're just basically walking around with a germ-infested piece of cloth <laughs> if you carry a hanky. Continually putting it towards your own face. Ugh. Right. It's disgusting. So, you know, for that reason, I, I'm a big fan of disposable tissues. Preferably Puffs Plus. I like the little lotion in the tissue, but um, I'm not picky. Nice touch. Just make sure you throw it away. You have a different preference? No, I'm saying that's a nice touch, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the lotion in the tissue. Sort of an elitist tissue, but I agree with you. Well, it's probably um, what they had at Harvard in all the dorms, I imagine, <laughs> right? The Puffs Plus, the not even the generic. Most colleges have like generic toilet paper, but of course at Harvard, you guys probably all have bidets, right? Uh, there were, are no bidets at Harvard, not that I've seen. Um, yeah. Did you ever try using any of the tissues here at Odyssey? It's like rubbing your nose with sandpaper. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised we still have tissues. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised they don't, it's not a coin-operated vending machine to get one at this point. I feel like they bought the worst tissues on the planet in bulk, and now we're just forced to deal with it. Yeah. Well, you know what? Bring your own tissues. BYOT, buddy. (laughs) Bring your own tissues. What can I tell you? Uh, If that's your biggest complaint, you haven't been reading the emails. Anyway. um, (laughs) Let me use this opportunity to move on and... uh, Get to a clip of uh, Donald Trump talking about the, uh, the 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 situation in Georgia, where he talks about the prosecutor down there. Jesse Waters broke the story last night about how uh, Fannie Willis, the district attorney in Georgia who brought the case against Trump, actually has her lover, 
involved in all this and is making all kinds of money. Trump talked about that today outside of the courthouse. And uh, this is what he said. Take a listen. A sex scandal is rocking President Trump. Oh, sorry. That's the wrong clip. Hang on. That's all right. Here we go. She was out of her mind. Now it turns out that that case is totally compromised. In fact, they say she's in far more criminal liability than any of the people she's looking at. So I think that when you look at what happened where they pay a lawyer with absolutely no experience, $700,000, who happens to be her lover or her boyfriend, and uh, then they go on trips and vacations together, very expensive vacations together. And the reason they paid him so much, because he was after me. Because this way they can afford to pay him a lot more. It probably passes a certain test. And that's a very sad thing that happened in Georgia. And I would imagine that case is going to be dropped. Um, every legal analyst that I've spoken to, every legal analyst that I've read have said that case is so compromised now it has to be dropped. Uh, very good people were very badly hurt by that case. It's a shame. Very good people. People did nothing wrong. Uh, they did nothing different than what Democrats have been doing for years and years and years, whether it's slates or anything else that you're talking about. But they were very hurt, and it turns out that uh, she profited tremendously in that case. It's illegal. What she did is illegal. Now, that, of course, is a big story of the day today, brought to you by our friend, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. He is the master of dental implants. Please visit him today for that perfect smile, VenariaDental.com. Uh, you know, Trump's right, by the way, about that. And I think my prediction is the D.C. Circuit Court, based on the judge's arguments today, is probably going to come out and say presidents don't have immunity. And then what's going to happen is that the Supreme Court's going to hear the appeal, and then this is going to this is going to go on for a while. It's a very big question the Supreme Court has to tackle. I'll get more into this in the next hour, but the bottom line is this: Jack Smith's case, his dreams, a special counsel, his dreams of getting Trump on the stand before Super Tuesday, not gonna, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. It's it, it, there's no chance that happens, and that's the bottom line. And I'm telling you right now, for him, this is the biggest disappointment. Because they want every day to be January 6th and they want Trump to be on trial and they, they ultimately want him to go down. And, you know, it's it's it is it's not even a situation right now where you can have a straight face with these people. You can't even keep a straight face. AOC, what is wrong with Anderson Cooper? I kid you not. I know her voice is grating, but you have to listen to the irony of these people. They impeached Trump twice remember that twice one time was for making a phone call to ukraine and and it was perfect read the transcript and the other time was for january 6th and in here is representative alexandria ocasio cortez the cortez the leader of the squad i mean these people have it's just like the same way that they don't comment on the summer of love they have no sense of irony these people whatsoever cut number seven what they're using and what they're doing is taking impeachment and taking all of the most serious procedures that we have as a country. And they're learning to use it for political. They're politically weaponizing it for an election purpose, for a political purpose. And in doing so, they are putting the people of this country, everyday Americans, absolutely at the bottom of the barrel. And they're putting themselves first. Mm. It's a selfishness that that really endangers this country. It endangers our electoral process. It endangers our legal process. It's deeply cynical and it's done to reelect themselves and line their own pockets. 
And here, right? I mean, yeah, it's just the irony is just amazing with these people. It really is. It's just so rich. Amazing. They asked the vampiric one, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, they dug her up from uh, where she was visiting Romania, Transylvania, a region, not a town. And she came back. She flew back. <laughs> and by flew back, I mean, you know, she turned to a bat. Uh, because she well, she can't fly right now because all the planes lost their plugs. So, you know, but plugs are the problem right Stop. now. Stop. <laughs> I said, but, comma, plugs are the problem right now. What's the problem? You're, you're treading a very dangerous oh, line you, here. You have a childish sense of humor is the problem, Matt DeSantis. <laughs> that may be true. But I feel like, uh, uh, let's just leave plugs out of the equation. Your, your mind's going straight to the gutter every time Always. he says something. Oh, constantly, right? Yeah. It's like the freaking Politburo over there, constantly <laughs> with the censorship, with his hand on the button. Speech police. Yeah, it was my fault. Yeah. No one ever could have thought anything other than the, the comma being there. I just would have said she would have flown in a plane, but plugs are the problem. <laughs> I don't, I don't hear anything wrong with that. Yeah, there's no... Right. <laughs> Sorry, that was my bad. You're right, you're right. There, there's nothing that could be misconstrued there. Yeah, if you can't hear the comma in the in my in my tone of speech, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not, I'm not a writer. I'm a talker. But... <laughs> But I will be with a writer, Terry Hayes, on February 7th. So make sure you get your tickets for that. It's going to be a great night as we talk about the book, The Year of the Locust. His first book, I Am Pilgrim, to this day, one of my top three favorite books I've ever read in my life. It was about ISIS uh, fiction, but I mean, you feel like you're there. This book right now is about a CIA guy who goes deep into Iran and then has to try to figure out a plot against America that is supposed to be more spectacular than 9-11. I, I, I love this book. I can't put it down. So join us for that February 7th. Just go to 1210WPHG.com and you can uh, get your ticket to join me and international global best-selling author Terry Hayes February 7th. All right? I would love to see you there. Our speaker series are always fun. We always have a great time at those things. We're also going to do a lot more uh, of these events coming up in 2024. Do a lot more political things, and we'll be at bars more, which is always a great time. And we'll even do more things around beer. That's a tease. Not that I don't love wine. As you do, I, I as you know, I love wine. And uh, thanks again to my buddy Jack Tomasello for sending me some of his finest Pinot Noir. It came in very handy the other night. Uh, anyway, here is uh, the vampiric one, Nancy Pelosi. I'm with uh, Snarky Jen Psaki. Uh, cut number six. Do you feel still feel confident in him serving as Secretary of Defense? Well, I'm a big fan of, of, of the Secretary. I think he's done a remarkable job as Secretary of Defense. He commands great respect. In fact, I was going to give him a call this past week about something, and I thought I'll just do it when I get back to D.C. But um, uh, that's really something up to the him and the president of the United States, because nobody knows better than the secretary of defense and the commander in chief. Yeah. You, you know, I, I'm sure that they'd be saying that if this happened under, under Trump. I'm sure that I'm, I'm sure that that would be the exact the exact same reaction. Right. Such frauds. Uh, speaking of frauds today, Fauci went before the uh, House Select Subcommittee on the origins of covid. And as you can imagine, Asanto Fauci, he said uh, a bunch of nonsense and flip flopped more than 100 times. 
According to the Daily Mail, Fauci flip-flops during Congress grilling. Ex-White House doc ducks more than 100 questions about COVID and admits he approved risky Wuhan coronavirus research proposal without reading it. House Republicans said Fauci's pandemic policies were full of drastic and systemic failures. He backtracked on past claims his agency never funded gain-of-function research abroad. He was grilled by them for two seven-hour sessions. He admitted he signed off on millions of dollars worth of grants without reviewing the proposals and appeared to admit his agency had little oversight of the foreign labs he bankrolled, like the WIV, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Now, this was all closed doors, so we don't have any audio to share with you. But Republican Congressman Brad Wenstrup of Ohio, who's the chairman of that committee, he said Fauci's testimony uncovered drastic and systemic failures in America's public health systems. Clearly, the American people and the United States government are operating with completely different expectations about the responsibility of our public health leaders and the accountability of our public health agencies. According to House Select Committee on Coronavirus, Dr. Fauci denied remembering key details of the response more than 100 times. They also said that he commissioned a paper to disprove that COVID leaked from a lab because he wanted everybody to believe it came from an undercooked bat burger with a side of pangolin fries and a raccoon dog aioli sold at a wet market just blocks away from the WIV. They said he backtracked on his earlier insistence that the U.S. did not fund experiments that could make viruses more transmissible or dangerous, known as gain-of-function research. Fauci's marathon testimony has been a long time coming. The House Subcommittee on the Coronavirus compelled him to appear before members nearly a year ago, but the finer details were only finalized late last year. And uh, we hope to have hearings in public, but remember, the key thing here is that very early on in the pandemic, going back as far as February 1st, 2020, Dr. Anthony Fauci was working diligently to downplay the idea that this virus came from a lab. And he had a call with this guy named Jeremy Farrar and Francis Collins, the guy who sings, wonderful karaoke singer. And what Fauci said was the suspicion was heightened by the fact that scientists at the Wuhan Institute of Virology are known to have been working on gain-of-function experiments to determine the molecular mechanisms associated with bat viruses adapting to human infection, and the outbreak originated in Wuhan. Emails from February 1st, 2020 acknowledge that scientists in Wuhan are known to have been working on gain-of-function experiments to determine the molecular mechanisms associated with bat viruses adapting to human infection and that the outbreak originated in Wuhan. It was December 2022 when Dr. Andrew Hoff, the former vice president of EcoHealth Alliance, became a whistleblower and said he believed grant funding provided to the organization by the NIH, the organization being the EcoHealth Alliance, was linked to the creation of SARS-CoV-2. That is what you know as COVID-19. He said the pandemic was the result of the U.S. government funding of dangerous genetic engineering on coronaviruses in China. Um, yeah, you know, I could use a little musical interlude, Matt DeSantis, if you don't mind. That'd be great. We have a little bit of Francis Collins singing. I think we could all use it on a rainy day. Somewhere yeah. Past the pandemic. Yeah. Rainy days 
are for lovers and for bad karaoke versions of Under the Rainbow. Oh, turn it up! <laughs> I get chills. Ah! I don't think he hit the note there. My family now can leave our home, visit stores, and freely roam. Masks off, finally. Don't think he hit the note there either. It's awkward. Past the pandemic, life will resume. Anyway, Fauci also pled the fifth several times today during the um, uh, closed-door session with the House Select Subcommittee on the Origins of COVID-19. 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Checking in on Twitter, Lou C 39 on Twitter says, Rich, I have a question. Why the hell are we funding our enemy China with such research? Why wasn't that research being done here in the United States? Uh, Great question. I think the better question is, why is that research being done at all? Why are we creating? And I'm not saying you support this, Lou. I'm just saying that I think what we all have to realize is that creating Frankenstein's monster with the idea that we have to create him so we can figure out how we can defeat him if he ever escapes from the, you know, from the lab and terrorizes the village is a really, really bad idea. It's a really bad idea. We got to stop tinkering with nature like this. This has to stop. It has to end. And these pharmaceutical companies, they get it, they get it coming and going. You know, they get the money to create the virus and then they get the money to create the treatment for that virus. And that's why the gain of function gravy train continues. Signs of autumn signs says, Rich, thank you, Rich. I was about to eat my Mike's sub. And then you talked about hankies. Dear God, I'm sick now. My dad used one for years, and they came in a cute little box with a cute ribbon to blow green snot into. Yeah, my grandpa used one as well. Actually, my dad did for a number of years, too. Disgusting. Talking about him. How many dinners do you have to ruin? That's true. But MAGA MAGA Man says, Rich, they cancel plastic bags single use where I live and, and shop. It's ridiculous. Everything in store is plastic. But I'm expecting them to cancel single-use tissues next. That's a great point. <laughs> I-, I could see that. We're going to have to all live in a world of hankies. <laughs> there was that big uh, report in the Washington Post earlier today saying that you shouldn't drink bottled water anymore. Why is, oh, that's the right. Nanoplastics. The nanoplastics. The nanoplastics. Yeah, I like nanoplastics. <laughs> there was also a line in that study, though, that kind of got glossed over quick there were nanoplastics found in tap water as well it wasn't exclusive to bottled water and they were saying nano nanoplastics could get lodged in your skin from clothing so basically they're everywhere i don't know why they they zoned in on plastic bottles uh, oh well, i do know why well, because they, they want to get plastic, rid of them but right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. they want to ban them look i'm under the presumption that everything we eat drink wear just has microplastics and nanoplastics in it at this point so who cares yeah i think at this point we should all probably recognize that as well they have a hundred to a thousand times more plastics in bottled water though than tap water they're saying but i, I mean I, I, we're i expect that at some point we're just going to morph into a into plastic at some point you know what i mean so <laughs> there's no way out of it i'm also certain that 
the type of bottled water you're drinking is probably going to uh, determine how many nanoplastics you consume, right? The type of bottled water? Well, yeah. yeah. If you drink water with extra nanoplastic in it, you're probably going to have more. Well, I could see a scenario in which these like flimsy plastic bottles that a lot of different brands have adopted could, uh, I guess, leach more plastic into the water you're consuming. Oh, that's a good point. Can we name? In other them? words, as they try to make it more eco-friendly, quote unquote, they they're so thin that you're going to get more plastic, not less. Yeah, that's what I would, I, I would imagine, right? Can we name drop these brands? Sure. Who cares? All right, uh, Dasani. That 100 percent is microplastics. It's in a very it. thin Those bottle. Thin yeah. bottles. Yeah. They also have the annoying little bottle caps. Now, they make these bottle caps so tiny, and the, and the bottles are so flimsy that, for example, if you do a speaker series, which we've done in the past, and and I used to do advance, you know, for politicians back in the day. So we would do things like we'd stage town hall meetings, and you put a bottle of water there. You, you always have to unscrew the top, and the reason why is because as you, you know, if you, if if the, the water bottle is not unscrewed, and the candidate's sitting up there trying to unscrew it, it turns into a whole Marco Rubio situation with the water, and it gets awkward. <laughs> You know, but the other problem is, though, if you do that and then the speaker grabs the bottle, these flimsy bottles, then it shoots up like a, you know, like, like, like a geyser erupting. <laughs> you just, so you have to actually pour some of the water out. Otherwise, these bottles are so flimsy that all it takes is just maybe, you know, a, a quarter of an ounce of pressure exerted on it for it just to, you know, all over the place. Would have thought so much went into, you know, quenching your thirst during a speaker series. I would have never known that. See, it's not easy, but, you know, nanoplastics was my high school David Bowie cover <laughs> band, says Exile in Jersey. Well done. Uh, yep. Yes, this uh, social media check-in brought to you by our friends at Cherry Hill Volvo, by the way, where relationships matter. Uh, Gain of Function is how they created Doomsday, the villain who was responsible for the death of Superman in DC Comics. Marcus Aurelius saying that. That's true, and yet I take... As much as I I hated the Justice League movies because of Ben Affleck as Batman, I still think that that research that was done was more credible than what Fauci signed off on. I'm just going to say that for the record. Uh, 855-839-1210 if you'd like to play uh, play along, or you can tweet along at home, at Rich Zioli. Today is King Philip the Unaccountable State of the State Address in New Jersey. We'll have audio of that for you tomorrow, I'm sure, with uh, plenty of trumpets to be uh, blazing. But uh, the governor did did declare a state of emergency because of all the rain that we're getting right now. So be careful because there's flooding and whatnot. I don't know if uh, the Vine Street Expressway is going to flood again like it did a couple of years ago. If it does and you are an idiot and you cannonball off and you jump into it and you swim in it, you deserve much more than just nanoplastics in your body. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you remember those idiots doing that? Yeah, that was disgusting. What was it, last year or the year before? It all flies together. I don't remember exactly when. I feel like it was a couple of years ago. That guy went viral, too. I was still in mornings because I was I was getting off of the Schuylkill and to get to 30th Street Station, and the water was starting to rise. And shortly after that is when it really rose, and the Schuylkill flooded, and then the Vine Street was just completely underwater. So people were going on the overpass above it and then jumping off of it and swimming in that disgusting putrid water. But for the record, I want to say that it's still not nearly as disgusting as the water that I was in for the dunk tank at the uh, at the Children's Behind the Badge Foundation Bend to the Shore <laughs> bike ride. So, talking about nanoplastics. Yeah, that water did look pretty disgusting. Disgusting.
Disgusting, I'm telling you right now. Uh, all right, we got a lot more to chat about. I'm going to give you uh, the latest on everything that's going on with Trump in court today. The appeals court judge asking Trump a hypothetical question, or Trump's attorneys a hypothetical question. And uh, Democrats are now wondering whether Biden should agree to debate Trump. This story that I shared with you a little bit yesterday kind of plays into a lot of what we talked about today, which is all these rumors out there that Michelle Obama doesn't want Biden to do well because maybe they want to switch a rue her. Or something else I mentioned earlier, which is that Democrats in New Hampshire are now turning around and registering as Republicans because they want to back Nikki Haley. That's right. And there's another question revolving class action lawsuits and candy bars. I'll share that story with you as well. 855-839-1210. Oh, you have some audio of King Philip the Unaccountable. We really? do. Yes. From his severe weather press conference, which just concluded. Do we have the trumpets? All right, cue up the trumpets. When I get back, I we'll it. share a little bit of the uh, of, of the king's uh, warning to the peasants. All right, we'll do that straight ahead. But first, I want to tell you about my friends at Cherry Hill Lavo. It's an amazing offer. I mean, this is an absolutely amazing offer. So courtesy cars, like let's say you bring your car into Cherry Hill Volvo, they may give you a courtesy car to use, or if they're going to pick you up or drop you off valet service, they'll use a courtesy car. Well, they have right now... They're S60 courtesy cars. These are absolutely gorgeous with less than 5,000 miles on them available for you at less than $29,000. It's an amazing, amazing offer from my friends at Cherry Hill Volvo. These cars are beautiful. They are like new. And 5,000 miles? I mean, are you kidding me? That's nothing. That's nothing. And the S-Class is made right here at their plant in South Carolina. So this is an incredible opportunity for you to drive an almost new car for $29,000. It's an incredible opportunity to get luxury for less. I had the the S60. I drove it for about five months. Loved it. It was like the Batmobile. Super fast. Uh, Incredible technology on there. See, Cherry Volvo is undergoing a massive renovation to their dealership. And so in order to serve you better, they are open. They have uh, ample opportunity, uh, inventory, excuse me. And they are ready to meet you today. So start the new year off with the luxury vehicle you deserve a Volvo from Cherry Hill Volvo it's a great time to visit with many incredible incentives available again hurry to Cherry Hill Volvo to get a courtesy S60 Volvo for less than $29,000 they are the most accessible Volvo dealer to Philly and South Jersey right across the bridge Judith Yosef and the entire team look forward to meeting you whether you want to do something besides the S60 is certainly up to you but I'm telling you this is a gorgeous sedan but maybe you want to do the SUV you know Days like today where it's raining and people drive like idiots, I'm very grateful that, that Bridget has the XC90. That's the third row SUV. The kids are nice and safe and sound and she runs them to all their activities and we drive to either the Grand Hotel for our broadcast or up to visit her family in the Adirondacks. We know that we'll get there nice and safe because Volvos are some of the safest cars on the road. Or maybe you want to do the Care by Volvo lease program that I'm in. Every five months, you're eligible for a new Volvo. Or you can keep the Volvo you have. Or you can cancel the lease altogether. And one low payment includes your car insurance, prepaid schedule maintenance, tire and wheel care, 15,000 miles annually, excessive wear coverage, and more. Or maybe you want to be really smart and take advantage of this incredible opportunity to get a Volvo courtesy S60 vehicle for under $29,000 with less than 5,000 miles. Just go see them today. Cherry Hill Volvo, where relationships matter. Vacation? My daughter started making necklaces. She makes what we call affirmation fashion. I tell her every day that your black is beautiful. Your black 
is beautiful. And if there's anything better than being beautiful, it's being smart. If there's anything better than being smart, it's being kind. And reaffirming that every day is our method of making sure her chin never drops. My dad wasn't around. And I remember riding a bike and falling off and cutting myself. And me never just wanting to get back on it. People ask, how your children learn how to ride a bike? And you didn't. I didn't teach them. I just created an environment where they taught themselves. And all I had to do was be there. That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. This new year, it's time to finally lose that weight the safe and natural way with NJ Diet. Their results are nearly twice as fast as weight loss injections and without any of those nasty side effects. With NJ Diet, you will lose 20 to 40 plus pounds in only 40 days. Contractually guaranteed. NJ Diet uses your hair and saliva along with bioenergetic scans to personalize natural solutions and supplements that get your body into the fat-burning zone. Then, NJ Diet uses your DNA info to help you keep the weight off. Don't take shots the rest of your life. Lose a contractually guaranteed 20 to 40 plus pounds in only 40 days. Naturally, quickly, and safely with NJ Diet. No hormones, no prepackaged foods, no shots. You even get the doctor's personal email and phone number. Call 855-5-NJ-DIET, 855-5-NJ-DIET, or schedule your consult today at njdiet.com. That's njdiet.com. The Zioli Show, on your schedule, from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. You know, the, um, the king has uh, declared that an emergency peasants. I'll get to that in a moment. I also want to share with you that uh, Maryland, the state of Maryland, their largest school district, uh, Montgomery County, they drove up their legal expenses by 548% last year. Hiring le- this is what the, this is what the left does with your money. Hiring counsel to investigate the school district's potential cover up of sexual harassment and defend the district against parental complaints over mandatory LGBTQ plus plus IA every letter of the alphabet curriculum. Montgomery County Public Schools has so far spent four hundred twelve thousand five hundred forty four more on legal fees this fiscal year period than last. Due to substantial litigation on two separate matters pending in federal court. The district spent 80000 in legal fees in July through August of 2022 and about a half a million in July through August of 2023. Yes. And the new president of CBS News has been accused of using her clout to promote minorities while unfairly sidelining white journalists, a woke and divisive practice that sparked multiple employee complaints and a major internal probe in 2021, according to the New York Post. Ingrid Cyprian Matthews, a 30-year veteran of the Third Place Network who took the helm in August after her boss left in a storm of controversy, also had been top deputy to ex-president David Rhodes, who exited CBS News in January 2019 following a slew of high-profile scandals, which included sex harassment allegations against Charlie Rose and allegations at 60 Minutes boss Jeff Fager presided over a discriminatory culture. Rhodes' boss, CBS CEO Les Moonves, was ousted over accusations of sexual misconduct, which he denied. Uh, 
Now, some insiders are chafing over the promotion of Cyprian Matthews, a Dominican-born executive who is now the top-ranked woman of color at CBS News. Current and former employees reveal that two and a half years ago, she was the target of a six-month human resources investigation by CBS parent Paramount Global into accusations of discriminatory hiring and management practices. Uh, by the way, as I always mention to you, the corporate media, the reason why they don't do real journalism anymore, like I'm going to get 60 Minutes once did a thing on Ray Apps. I'll get into that in the next hour. The reason why they don't do real journalism anymore is because they're corporations that own their news divisions. And Paramount Global is a great example. Paramount Global has lots of shows and movies that they need to show on screens in China. You know what I mean? Uh, NBC News is owned by Comcast, Xfinity. ABC is owned by the parent company Disney, which is owned by the parent company China. You know what I mean? So you can't expect actual unbiased journalism from the corporate media in today's day and age. It's all about it's it's all money for them. And and being woke, they think, is their pathway to victory. Of course, it's not. But, you know. Uh, let's see here now. Among the explosive claims were that Cyprian Matthews supported the promotion of an African-American correspondent after she personally witnessed him verbally abusing a female colleague. Elsewhere, she was accused of cooking up phony excuses to replace a white reporter with an African-American for a plum assignment covering the aftermath of the Capitol riots. In yet another instance, a white job candidate claimed Cyprian Matthews told her it would be easier to hire her if she were a different color as she passed her over. So you think these things don't happen, right? They're just conspiracy theories. Uh, the HR probe was cut short. It was conducted by Jennifer Gordon, an executive vice president of employee relations at Paramount Global. It was cut short. The investigator failed to interview key witnesses before she concluded merely that Cyprian Matthews was a bad manager with limited resources, according to a source close to the situation. Uh, the dumbest lawsuit I've ever read in my life. I love class action lawsuits, and I really wish that I had gone to law school sometimes because I could do stuff like what this guy is doing. This guy, Anthony Russo, Tony Russo of the Florida-based law firm Russo Firm. He um, He's representing now a major class action lawsuit against the Hershey Chocolate Company. You know, Hershey is in Hershey, PA. It's not far from us, two hours away or so. And uh, Hershey Candy Company... Makes delicious chocolate of all sorts. Well, it turns out that uh, they're in some uh, potential legal trouble. At issue is whether Hershey fudged on the packaging of seasonal treats. <laughs> oh, you laugh, but recent wrappers showed tiny eyes and mouths on chocolate pumpkins and ghosts. But the candy inside was faceless. <laughs> no. This is the stupidest lawsuit I've ever heard. You're not even done describing it, but please go on. I'm oh, captivated. I disagree. This next part is particularly troubling. They had chocolate footballs. However, when you open the wrapper, the chocolate contained no carving for the laces as depicted on the wrapper. How are you supposed to throw them? Anthony Russo of the Florida-based Russo firm says this has caused untold hardship to his client, Cynthia Kelly, and not less than 100, perhaps even thousands of other chocoholics. This is a trick, not a treat, the attorney quotes from one online review. The complaint says a YouTuber was left flabbergasted after you open up the packet and you are presented with that monstrosity. <laughs> Without the stitching, the chocolate football looks like eggs. 
Now, you laugh, DeSantis, but the lawsuit alleges that the candy maker and its subsidiaries, affiliates, suppliers, and their employees furthered a common scheme to induce members of the public to buy these seasonal chocolates by means of untrue, misleading, deceptive, and or fraudulent representations. The complaint says that violates Florida's Deceptive and Unfair Trade Practices Act. And they're seeking $5 billion in damages. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So there are, uh, and, and by the way, if if they're successful in court, and you are one of the litigant, you're one of the claimants of this litigation, you will receive a coupon for one free chocolate football in the mail. <laughs> That's why class action lawsuits. I love them. I sign up for all of them. <laughs> well, he's going to do well. Five million dollars in in damages. Yeah, well, this is what they. I, one of my is the only axioms in life is that uh, the lawyers always win. You he know definitely what I mean? will. Yeah. So this guy's going to win. There's no chance that he actually wins, though. This is ridiculous. Right. Um, <laughs> Mass had a great lawyer joke. He said maybe it was Kevin O'Dowd when they were filling in for Dawn. I was listening to them, and the joke was California has more lawyers. Uh, New Jersey has more toxic waste dump sites. Do you know the reason why? And what? it's because um, California won the coin. No, New Jersey won the coin toss. It was like having nuclear waste sites is worse than <laughs> better. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. You'd rather have the the nuclear waste right. sites than yeah. the the lawyers. See, That's I'm funny. not a, I'm not a lawyer, but lawyer jokes. Uh, let's see. We got an email from Jacqueline Roth. She emailed Greg Stocker, Darth Stocker, corporate shill slash co-host of Kale and Company slash brand manager slash. Uh, El Jefe slash the head honcho. Um, Rich always uses the above quote, Ophelia doth protest too much. I know the original quote from Shakespeare is, quote, methinks thou doth protest too much. And I keep wondering if there was some place where it was bastardized about an Ophelia. I think that would be a riot. Please let me know. Actually, the original quote is kind of a thing, but it's either... The lady doth protest too much, methinks, or methinks the lady doth protest too much. But Ophelia is the lady that he's thinking about, so she's thinking about it. It's Hamlet's mother, Gertrude. But I always, um, I always say Ophelia doth protest too much because that's the woman who is the subject of that. But the actual quote, Jacqueline, is it's either the lady doth protest too much, methinks, or methinks the lady doth protest too much. Depending on the uh, particular uh, Shakespearean scholar you're speaking about. <laughs> you don't strike me as someone who would be that into Hamlet or Shakespeare in general. I'm surprised. Well, we are coming up on the Ides of March. And the other question that I had the other day from a friend was, is it et tu, Brute? Or is it et tu... Uh, I don't even remember, because it's et tu, Brute. I don't remember what the stupid other question... Uh, the other, it was, But it's et tu, Brute. Et tu, Brute, you know? Like, and you, Brutus... When they, you know, the Ides of March, and when they kill Caesar, yeah. I've heard from people the play say Julius Caesar. I've heard people say "et tu Brutus." Perhaps that was the alternative you were thinking of. No, nah, I think it was the way that they pronounce Brute. Oh, okay. It was like "et tu uh, Bruet" or something. I forget now, but no, it's it's "et tu Brute" and you Brutus. But yeah, I guess it could be "et tu Brutus" if you wanted it to be that, right? Yeah, I I always hear people pronounce it that way, which I guess is technically incorrect. Yeah, my Shakespeare's a little off. I did take a uh, Shakespearean theater class in college, so I consider myself to be a Shakespearean-trained actor. <laughs> did you really? I did. 
Yeah, I did. That doesn't sound enjoyable. Well, I was the only guy in the in the class. And, oh, that's uh, pretty good. There were a lot of girls in the class. I'm just saying. And it was uh, I had to do an elective. You know, the Maryland had those stupid things where you had to take electives. And so I did, I had to sign up for theater. And uh, it was a Shakespeare thing that we did. And it was like me and like two gay guys and then like 20 hot chicks. That was the class. <laughs> Wait, did you have to put on a play at the end of the semester? We did. Yeah, we did. We put it on uh, Richard III. Oh, somebody. Are you in the play? Someone has to find that, that tape. Can't answer that, but I do know that... Uh, that's a the, yes. It's in the archives. The character of uh, of Richard III, the corrupt king, is certainly who Phil Murphy envies and tries to embody <laughs> every day. No question about it. The bastard king. Someone at the University uh, of Maryland, get me that tape. Somebody there. It must exist in the audio archives. Uh, actually, Al Pacino is a big Shakespearean actor. Do you know that? Is he? Yeah, he used to do Shakespeare before they tapped him for The Godfather. Oh, I didn't know that. He did uh, He did a bunch of plays, and then it was actually Francis Ford Coppola saw him in a play, and that's why he wanted him to be Michael Corleone. And at the time, they were like, who is this guy? No one knew who he was, and obviously, so they didn't, they didn't want him. And um, at first, he had signed a contract with another movie studio, and that movie studio had wanted another actor for one of their scenes— one of their movies by the name of Robert De Niro. And they didn't want De Niro for The Godfather, so they actually agreed to make a swap. So the two movie studios swapped Pacino for De Niro. And then, of course, ironically enough, they would both be in Godfather Part Two, although not have a scene together, but, you know. Wait, so what movie did De Niro end up doing? Do you remember? I forget. I, I think it might it might have been... Um, it might have been Taxi Driver, actually. Oh wow! It might, it might, may have been. I'm not. Sure. I forget. You got to see on Hulu. They have this spe- this uh, special called. Uh, it's all about the making of the Godfather. It's called The Offer. I, oh, I, you know what? I, when you were talking about it, I, I do sort of uh, jog my memory. That's a very good show. It's great, phenomenal show about the making of the Godfather and all the hurdles they had to do to, to make it. And there were a lot of them, from getting the mafia to sign off on it because they, you know they didn't want it. They obviously did not want this movie made. Um, Frank Sinatra did not want the movie made. Uh, the studio didn't want the movie made. They didn't have any money. Actually, they were kind of broke, <clears throat> and they wanted to sell the rights to the Godfather back to another movie studio. They didn't want to make the movie. They wanted to cut it and try to save money. The suits did because the suits always make excellent artistic decisions, obviously. Uh, and yeah, and then, and then all the fiascos that they had during the performance, like, I mean, during the making of the movie and it almost, it almost fell apart. Se- multiple times, the Godfather almost never happened. Miles Teller is Al Ruddy in that show. Excellent. Yes, Philadelphia's own Miles Teller, and he's fantastic in that show. And John Brazier from the Phillies told me a great story about that. So Miles Teller, when when he came to the Phillies game over the summer, was right after Top Gun came out. And they didn't think he would need security, so they just kind of escorted him to his seats. But he got mobbed because it was right after Top Gun came out. But apparently he's a very nice guy, and, and he's local and... You know, but he's great. He's great in that movie as Al Ruddy. Fantastic. But the guy who plays Michael Corleone, that guy is so good. I think that he has to be related to Al Pacino in some way. I mean, he he nails it. Also, the guy who plays Brando. I mean, they all do. They're great. The acting is phenomenal. It's a great show. If you haven't seen it, you love The Godfather. You got to watch it. It's great. I, I may I may rewatch it as a matter of fact. The only I, the only thing I didn't like was uh, Giovanni Ribisi plays the mob boss of New York at the time. 
uh, and I don't, I don't, I think he kind of overacted a little bit in, oh, that, in that part. I love Giovanni Ribisi. I think he's great in everything. Yeah, I don't know. He didn't really do it for me of that, <laughs> but but it's very good. It's a good show, and and uh, apparently a true story. But although some people disagree with Al Ruddy's interpretation of it, and The Godfather went on to do quite well, and they even might have made a sequel. <laughs> So I've heard. Uh, but His Royal Highness King Philip the Unaccountable always wants to be the Richard, uh, King Richard III of uh, his time, the corrupt king. So he warned the peasants about the rain. And of course, like anything else, we have to uh, give the trumpets so the king can have his due. So without further ado, please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Peasants, gather around. His royal ruggedness, King Philip the Unaccountable, thinks you're all idiots who can't drive in the rain, and he wants to make sure your filthy peasant asses get home safely. Arses. I would just say this is one I would strongly, strongly, strongly encourage folks to not uh, underestimate. Um, This, while it's not snow in January, I think the human nature is to say, well, it's not snow, we're going to be okay. But we've seen with Ida and other storms that a lot of rain, high winds, and flooding can cause not just a lot of damage, but put lives at risk and indeed an item one more the please with the trumpets if i could from the town crier mm-hmm. 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 go ahead yes mm-hmm. peasants gather around his royal highness king philip the unaccountable is worried that his rug may get soaked along with your filthy peasant tents do not leave your peasantry you filthy filthy animals blessed residents. So we are declaring a a state of emergency effective at 5 p.m. tomorrow. And that call is based on both the severe weather forecast. Oh, wait, hang on a second. We have some breaking news. Uh, I got mentioned in the Philadelphia Inquirer. This is great. So uh, remember how yesterday I was proposing, I kept saying how I was going to be on Jesse Waters' prime time. To talk about the uh, the William Penn statue. Yeah, it was a real bummer. So the New York, so the Philadelphia Inquirer wrote a story about this: the life cycle of an internet controversy. How a proposal to remove William Parks, uh, Welcome Parks, William Penn statue was derailed online. They actually brought up the fact that I promoted that I was going to be on Jesse Waters during the show a bunch of times, <laughs> and that I ultimately wound up tweeting. <laughs> They actually brought that up. I got to find. I got to find that. I just got a Google alert on this. They have Byron New York posted. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see uh, if I can find it here. Um, Rich, okay. Rich Scioli of twelve ten WPSC Talk Radio, who had previously promoted a Fox News appearance to discuss the proposal, said on X the segment was bumped because of the plan's withdrawal. And what I did was I requoted Governor Josh Shapiro. I I, I, I I quoted him and I wrote, "He was terrified of my impending Fox News hit." So they put that in the Philadelphia Inquirer story. That's awesome. Thank you, Emily Block, for covering that. I love that. That's fantastic. I'm definitely going to follow you on Twitter, and I'm definitely going to uh, tweet out your article. That is awesome. I love that. Any mention is good mention as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, I, bla- I said that Shapiro was so worried that I was going to be on Jesse Waters' prime time that he immediately called the National Park Service, terrified, and um, told them that they had to keep William Penn, that the Zioli Army at the end kept – we saved William Penn because he was so afraid of my impending Fox News appearance. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's truth. That is correct. 
It would have been nice if they had kept their war with William Penn going for maybe like 90 more minutes, though, right? Well, I think that's why Shapiro hates me, because he could have waited and done it like at 9 o'clock. You know what I mean? But whatever. So anytime I'm mentioned is good good mentioned, even if it's in the inquirers. So look at that. All right, we have a lot to chat about in the six o'clock hour. Donald Trump immunity claims. Uh, will Barack Obama be arrested for murder? Our fourth and final hour, straight ahead. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, three to seven. Talk radio twelve ten. WPHT and on the free Odyssey app. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. No jail time for Ray Epps. That's right. Ray Epps, who told people tomorrow we go in the Capitol. The only January 6th protester who actually told people to go into the Capitol. Literally inciting people to go into the United States Capitol building. That Ray Epps. uh, No jail time for him. Welcome back to our fourth and final hour here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. 855-839-1210. And on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. That's right. Well, many January 6th protesters are rotting in jail for nonviolent crimes. He escapes the prison term entirely. He has been officially sentenced to one year probation, $500 restitution, and 100 hours of community service. But, you know, the thing about Ray Epps, of course, is that he was the one chanting, you know, tomorrow we go in the Capitol, we go in the Capitol. That was the guy, you know, we, I mean, that's literally. Tomorrow, mm-hmm. we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, we go into the Capitol. That's, that was him. That was Ray Epps. And then he suddenly became a media darling. The New York Times ran a whole story about Ray Epps, about how poor Ray Epps has become a victim of a vast right-wing conspiracy, alleging that he was a federale. Even 60 Minutes did a piece on Ray Epps. That's right, 60 Minutes. We are going to the Capitol. Who is Ray Epps? A former member of the Oath Keepers who served in the Marine Corps and was an ardent Trump supporter, or at least he was, until conservative media post-January 6th began insinuating that he was a government plant for the deep state. What exactly was the role of Ray Epps in the chaos of January 6th? No matter how many times they push this conspiracy theory, this lie, it'll never become truth. So the guy who was standing there telling everybody, tomorrow we go in the Capitol, we go in the Capitol, that guy, 500 bucks, a year probation, and 100 hours of community service. My kids do more community service in a year than, than what Ray Epps has to do. And that's something. Who is Ray Epps? Now, uh, when asked the question about Ray Epps, you know, when the FBI director was asked about him, he wouldn't answer the question. When the attorney general was asked the question, wouldn't answer the question. They just wouldn't answer the question. Point blank. Thank you, Mr. Christopher Chair. Christopher Ray was asked. Ray, thank you for continuing to serve with all of these uh, attempts to sully your name, mm-hmm. suggest you've committed crimes. Mm-hmm. You've done an excellent job as FBI director. I don't agree with everything you've done, but mostly I do. And I think the FBI is our premier law enforcement agency. 
and I support law enforcement. This is a Democrat named Steve attack Cohen. The FBI is to attack law enforcement in general. See, this is the big scam. A few days after Mar-a-Lago, there was mm -hmm. some individual went after the Cincinnati headquarters of the FBI. You tell us a little bit about that and how you think that came about. Uh, so the incident that you're asking about uh, was obviously deeply disturbing. We had. You know, what, let me play, let me play this one. Uh, this is this. Don't is distract better. here because we're here we focusing go. on that those who were there in an undercover capacity on January 6th. How many were there? Uh, again, I, I'm not sure that I can give you that number as I sit here. I'm not sure there were undercover agents uh, on scene. You, you, I'm, I find that kind of a remarkable statement, Director. At this point, you don't know whether there were undercover federal agents, FBI agents, in the crowd or in the Capitol on January 6th. I, I say that because I want to be very careful. There have been a number of court filings related to some of these topics, and I want to make sure that I stick I, within what's in... I, I understand that, but I, I just... I thought I heard you say you didn't know whether there were FBI agents or informants or human sources in the Capitol or in the vicinity on January 6th. Did I misunderstand you? I thought that's what you said. Well, I referred very specifically to undercover agents. Yeah. And so are you acknowledging then there were undercover agents? I, I, as I sit here right now, I do not believe there were undercover agents uh, on scene. Any FBI agents. Did you have any uh, assets present that day? in the crowd. When it comes to what you're calling assets or what we would call confidential human sources, sure. uh, that's a place where, again, I want to be careful, much as I said in response to an earlier question, uh, there are court filings that I think speak to this that I'm happy to make sure we get uh, to you, assuming they're not under seal. Um, and that can better answer the question than I can as I sit here right now. Mm -hmm. So he was definitive about no undercover agents. Nobody's alleging that Ray Epps was an undercover FBI agent. What everybody's alleging is that Ray Epps was, an un was a confidential human source, uh, which led to him being a media darling. Just for a point of reference, most of the January 6th defendants have received uh, an average sentence of three years. For those who received guilty pleas like Ray Epps did, it has been two years. Yeah, for some reason, the guy who instigated the Capitol riot by saying, tomorrow we go in the Capitol, we go in the Capitol, has escaped with probation and community service. It is rather remarkable, isn't it? It is remarkable. And I still remember that time when it was uh, the New York Times that did the whole big story about him. Now, the thing about the New York Times and a lot of these reporters, these, these deep state swamp reporters, is that they have a symbiotic relationship with people in the intelligence community. Now, they want to get stories done. They want to have access to things. So what happens is that in order to get their 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 stuff written, like the person who wrote the Ray Epps story, Zach Montague and Alan Fior, they they typically cover national security stuff. And that's that's their beat, you know, national security stuff. In order to get access to information, so that they can do their job and they can look good to their superiors and they can, you know, they trade favors. So for example, the deep state will come to them and say, "Hey, can you write a story for us?" And then they, now they have a chit, you know what I mean? So now the reporter has a chit to call in and call in and be like, hey, uh, you know, on background, what's, what's really going on here with uh, Lloyd Austin? I, I got I to write something that, that no other newspaper can, can write. I need to, I need to be, I, we at the New York Times, we got to do something that nobody else can do. So what's really going on here with Austin? And the person be like, all right, listen, am I on background, deep background? 
and then they'll give them stuff. And that's the symbiotic relationship that exists between the government and the corporate media. So back in, uh, it was uh, January of 2024, Ray Epps, this is the title of the story, Ray Epps, target of Jan 6 conspiracy theory, is sentenced to probation. The one-time Trump supporter was driven into hiding after Fox News and prominent Republicans spread a false narrative that he was a government agent who helped instigate the attack on the Capitol. Oh, this is from today. I'm sorry, from today. Ray Epps, the former Trump supporter who became a target of a conspiracy theory that he was an undercover government agent who helped to instigate the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol, was sentenced on Tuesday to a year of probation for his own small role in the riot. Small role of telling people, tomorrow we go in the Capitol, we go in the Capitol. And then the day of, J6, the Ihoy Day of the Left, telling people, we go in the Capitol. Instead of the six months in prison the prosecutors had requested. The probation sentence imposed after Mr. Epps had pleaded guilty last year to a single count of disorderly conduct stemming from his presence in the pro-Trump mob near the Capitol brought his prosecution to a close, but it was unlikely to end the persistent false narrative that he was a provocateur out to entrap his fellow conservatives on January 6th, even though he, his lawyer, the prosecutor, and even the judge overseeing the case all asserted in open court the tale was preposterous. You see the game? You see the, the, how it's rigged? And how the New York Times writes it to end the persistent false narrative. Sounds a lot like the COVID lab leak theory, right? The debunk COVID lab leak theory. And the story that I was originally trying to find, which is from January of 2022, July of 2022, it was entitled a Trump backers downfall as the target of a January 6th conspiracy theory. Ray Epps became the unwitting face of an attempt by pro-Trump forces to promote the baseless idea that the FBI was behind the attack on the Capitol. And this guy, Alan Fuhr, who wrote that story, is a, a reporter who his now bio says, I cover extremism and political violence for the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Now, let's think about what else he's writing today. He's also writing about Trump's immunity case and arguing that presidents can go to prison for their actions, in which case then the question I have is, when does Barack Obama go to jail for ordering the assassinations of four American citizens with drone strikes without so much as even a trial in absentia? You know, the Constitution clearly says that uh, no person can be deprived life, liberty without due process. President Obama killed four American citizens. Now, at the time... Nobody really cared because they were suspected terrorists, but they were only suspected. They hadn't been found guilty. He signed a presidential memorandum executing these men. And, you know, the point that I raised at the time was, is this legal? I guess. We're in a war. War on terror. Presidents can do anything. But as the Trump question gets played out here about presidential immunity, that's something that I'd like to reexamine. You know, like, could could Barack Obama get arrested and charged with murder for killing those American citizens without a trial, even in absentia, without any due process whatsoever? He just decided that they were terrorists and signed a memorandum uh, ordering their execution. Uh, but but Ray, but I'll come back to that in a moment. So, so this so Ray Epps became this this victim here, and from C, from sixty minutes to the New York Times, the stories about Mr. Epps were quickly seized on by the Fox News host Tucker Carlson, who gave them a wider audience. They were also echoed by Republican members of Congress, like Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky and Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. Especially Mr. Uh, eventually, Mr. Trump joined the fray, mentioning Mr. Epps at one of his political rallies and le- lending fuel to a viral Twitter hashtag, who is Ray Epps? 
He says, I'm at the center of this thing, and it's the biggest farce that's ever been. It's just not right. The American people are being led down a path. I think it should be criminal. Mr. Epps says that he is a victim, and he and his wife have been searching for a lawyer to help them with their defamation lawsuit. Well, how's that going? Huh? How's that, how's that defamation lawsuit going? Mr. Epps says the truth needs to come out. And he acted stupidly that day, telling people the day before and that day to go into the Capitol. So, he, you see, the government came to him and said, Ray Epps is, is our guy, and we need you to write glowing stories about him and tell everybody that this is a uh, vast right-wing conspiracy, and the corporate media goes along and does what the corporate media is told. So that's what they do. And then, in return for that, the government... Deep State will feed writers like this guy from the New York Times, this guy, uh, Alan Fuhr, more information. And the symbiotic relationship persists. And poor Ray Epps, a victim of this vast government conspiracy. You know, the majority of Americans believe that the FBI did play some role that day. And I don't think that people suggest that the FBI instigated January 6th. What they're saying, though, is that the FBI, these confidential informants, were there to throw gasoline on the fire. Like it, may, it, may, it may not be that the FBI sat down and drew up a detailed blueprint on how January 6th was going to play out, but it's like the kidnapping of the Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer. The idea was launched by a bunch of guys drinking beer, but it was actually put in motion by people who were confidential human sources by the FBI. See what I mean? So you, you had people originally telling Ray Epps, saying to Ray Epps, fed, 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 and saying, don't say these things. We're not doing that. No, 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 no. January 6th comes the next day, the high holy day of the left. Ray Epps is there again telling people to go into the Capitol. And you got you get people riled up. People are angry. There's emotions going on. And then they, they throw gasoline on that fire, and then they light the match. And I think there's no question that that's exactly what happened here, that the United States government played a huge role in this. The day of and leading into it of firing people up. It's just the way the facts have unfolded. And, and, and it serves their purpose, right? Why would the government want to be involved in doing something like this? I know it sounds conspiratorial, but think about it. Joe Biden's administration has for years been talking about the threat of domestic violent extremism. It, it, it all stems from January 6th. I said on January 7th, we're all, we're, we're all going to lose more liberties as a result of this. And what's going to happen next is that we're, we're going to have a situation where they will use this as an excuse for more spying on us and more erosion of the constitutional liberties that we are quickly losing in this country. And sure enough, I'm right. Now, if you think about this question of why would the government want to provoke people? Well, you have your answer. Now, every day is January 6th. Every anniversary of it, we can get a depressing, dystopian speech by the Democrat president. Every day, we can warn against political extremism and violence and Trump's a violent threat. And every day, we can have another excuse to spy on American citizens and strip away their liberties. Every single day. So that's that's the reason. That's the motivation. It's it's because, you know, if you don't have the supply to be the demand, the demand being that you want to say over and over and over again that there is, in fact, a domestic violent extremism problem. You have this demand, but you don't have the supply. That's a problem. You know, that's a problem for you. And so how do you how do you how do you deal with that? 
well, you create people who might be domestic violent extremists, such as, for example, moms who go to school board meetings and Catholics who pray in mass in Latin. Obviously, I mean, that's that's what you do. It's not that it's not that complicated. You do it that way. And then and then you give the government more power over us. Now, the government is always looking to flex its muscles constantly. It's always looking to flex its muscles. And there's no question in my mind that what they would like to do more than anything, more than anything, is to have the ability for all of us to be under their thumb whenever they want, whenever they want. I mean, that's it. That's that's what they want. You know, that's that's their thing. And that's what they want. And, you know, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, these things are completely irrelevant to them. They're in, they're irrelevant. They stand in the way of the government. It's like I told you yesterday with William Penn. You know, the, the, the principle of religious liberty, the, the concept of religious liberty and how you can say, no, I won't bake that cake, or yes, I will pray at my son's football game, or no, I'm not calling a man a woman because these things violate my beliefs, or I'm not going to not do those things because they violate my beliefs. Um, the fact that you have the right under the First Amendment because of your religious beliefs is something that the government hates. Here's reporters being caught in hot mic laughing about uh, Trump's, Trump being assassinated. This is from Media. A hot mic caught journalist joking about former President Donald Trump being assassinated as they awaited his appearance at the federal courthouse where his criminal in immunity appeal will be held. Here, take a listen to this. I mean, if he's driving, we've got a good shot. Yeah, if he's driving with the front window open. Yeah. Or if it's a convertible. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah. Like JFK, it's like a JFK, a Lincoln. No, I'm not. Maybe someone just like they told JFK, you know what you should do? You should take a convertible. It's so nice out. Yeah, just make some presidential assassination jokes. No big deal, right? No big deal. The corporate media doing their thing. Nah, it's no big whoop. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Don't worry about it. So now the question about presidential immunity and whether or not we can arrest Barack Obama, who there's talk now of him becoming potentially now the uh, potentially now becoming the next president of Harvard. I don't know how that's going to work out for him if he's in prison. But can presidents be arrested? Can presidents be charged after they leave office with the actions that they've done while they were in office? That is the question. That is the question playing out right now in federal court. I have a lot of thoughts on this for you, and I will share them with you upon my return. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich. Zioli, can you arrest presidents for their actions in office after they leave office? That is the big story of the day today. It's brought to you by my friend, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. Get the smile you deserve from my buddy, Dr. Mike, VenariaDental.com. The Zioli Show, on your schedule, from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. Can presidents be held liable for their actions while president, even if they broke the law? That is the question, of course, that is facing uh, former President Donald Trump. That is the question right now that everybody is asking. 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli, if you want to weigh in today. Uh, by the way, you know, I, was, I, I told you I was supposed to be on Jesse Waters yesterday, but they... I was driving home to change when his producer Jack called me and said, Rich, the governor just announced that they're keeping William Penn. And so there was no need to do the segment. But they said, you're a guy, you're a Philly guy. We'll, we'll have you back on the show soon. So my thanks to them for that. But I don't know if you caught this on Jesse Waters last night, a sex scandal 
Rocking President Trump's case in Georgia. A new motion says Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis financially benefited from hiring her inexperienced lover on the, the case. The sex scandal is rocking President Trump's case in Georgia. The Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney Fannie Willis has been accused of appointing her lover as a special prosecutor in the case against she. Donald Trump. D.A. Fannie Willis is responsible for taking Trump's mugshot also allegedly financially benefited from hiring her lover, Nathan Wade, on that Trump case. This is according to a motion that was just filed by Wade, the co-defendant. Now, who is this romantic partner who Fannie Willis hired? He was just a private attorney who's never even tried a felony case. Even the Times says he has, quote, limited experience trying high-profile cases. But get this, Fannie's alleged lover has been paid nearly a million dollars in legal fees already. Who authorized the payments? Oh, that would be Fannie. Where'd she get the money? Oh, that's your money. Came from the taxpayers. They've allegedly gone on luxury vacations to Napa Valley, even taking Caribbean cruises. And Fannie isn't even denying that she's hired a guy she's sleeping with to prosecute Trump. Well, why, why deny it? I mean, you, you, you're able to go out there and enjoy yourself and go on these nice vacations. So please, why would anybody think that? Why would anybody think that that's a problem? Uh, so good for Jesse Waters for covering that yesterday. I think that's really, really important. So we, we have the, um, the hot mic uh, joking around, the reporters joking around about Trump getting assassinated. Ha, ha, ha. Very, very funny. The question of presidential immunity. Now, this is this person in court here. I'm going to tell you about this, this person here. Uh, Judge Pan was appointed by President Joe Biden, was asked an idiotic question. And the question would be, of course, if a president did this, what would happen? Now, Pan, the judge, is married to Dem Party activist Max Steyer, who's one of Brett Kavanaugh's chief agitators. All right. But here's the question. Attorney for former President Donald Trump. This is the exchange. Take a listen. President ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival. That's an official act in order to SEAL Team 6. He, he would have to be and would speedily be, you know, uh, uh, impeached and convicted before the criminal what prosecution. What if you weren't? There would be no criminal prosecution, no criminal liability for that. Chief Justice's opinion in murder against Madison and uh, uh, and our Constitution tradition and the plain language of the impeachment judgment clause all clearly presuppose that what the founders were concerned about was not. I asked you a yes or yes or no question. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached? Would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. And so, so, so your answer is. Is, no. is my answer is qualified yes there's a political process that would have to occur under our the structure of our constitution which would require impeachment and conviction by the senate in these exceptional cases as the olc memo itself points out from the department of justice you'd expect a speedy impeachment and conviction but what the found now you see the point that he's making is that the way to deal with presidents who abuse the law the way to deal with that is through the impeachment clause i mean obviously Ordering SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival or, say, a, a leader of a foreign country, these things are uh, against American law. But what gives the president a right to assassinate an American citizen? When Barack Obama ordered those drone strikes, the question that I have, and this is the question that I think a lot of people have, is was that legal? Was that legal to do? Could you do, could you do it? Were you allowed to turn around 
and say that an American citizen who's a suspected terrorist, all right, a suspected terrorist, can be assassinated by the president of the United States. And the argument, of course, goes that, well, you know, Obama was, we were in the middle of a war, and these people were threats to the homeland, and so therefore the president had the right to sign a memorandum arguing for their execution. But the ACLU was not happy at the time. The ACLU filed a lawsuit challenging the government's targeted killing of three U.S. citizens in drone strikes far from any armed conflict zone. In Al-Ulaqi v. Panetta, the group's charge at the U.S. government's killing of U.S. citizens Anwar Al-Ulaqi, Samir Khan, and 16-year-old Abdul Dalum Al-Ulaqi, I'm probably not saying that right, in Yemen last year violated the Constitution's fundamental guarantee against the deprivation of life without due process of law. Quote, the killings are part of a broader program of targeted killing by the United States outside the context of armed conflict and based on vague legal standards a closed executive process, and evidence never presented to the courts. That's, that's, you see what I mean? That's what I am telling you about. These, these drone strikes against American citizens, there's no clear understanding of whether or not the United States of America and the president have the right to kill them. There's, there's, I mean, even the Atlantic of the time wrote a piece, Obama's weak defense of his record on drone killings. Ten years after the Awalaki killing, a reckoning for the United States drone wars await. Was this a was this a a, a counterterrorism coup or a constitutional crisis? The question of whether or not the executive abused his power in killing people. Modern War Institute frames it like this. From the Magna Carta to the U.S. Constitution, citizens have sought ways to protect themselves from the arbitrary exercise of sovereign power. The drone strike on Awalaki reversed this historical process with an executive process. From the so-called Terror Tuesday or Targeting Tuesday meetings where President Obama personally approved targets for drone strikes to the drafting of the legal logic justifying the extrajudicial killing of an American citizen, the strike on Al-Awlaki was the result of decision-making within the executive branch. Completely absent from the proceedings was the judiciary, which acts as a crucial buffer and neutral arbiter between the citizen and the executive. In its own defense, the Obama administration argued that due process was not the same thing as judicial process— and presented the test that it used to justify the targeted killing. While some observers have emphasized the narrowness of the legal standard, it was crafted specifically to target Al-Awlaki, therefore reinforcing just how discretionary this exercise of executive power was. Furthermore, it was conceived of and adjudged constitutionally sufficient by attorneys who had previously opposed executive overreach during the Bush administration. The Obama administration's legal test also suffered an internal contradiction by the standards of the administration's own actions. Now, think about this now. The administration decides all by itself, we can kill somebody who's an American citizen. They claim that capturing him was not feasible. It risked American lives on the ground in Somali, Libya, Pakistan, and yes, even Yemen to capture or kill terrorists or rescue hostages. They said that in the case of Awalaki... They risked the Constitution in using unmanned machines to kill an American citizen from the safety of the skies. Perhaps the foremost principle in applying the Constitution to counterterrorism is that we must not destroy that which we are trying to defend. Modern War Institute writes, 
While there were apparently several procedural layers that led to Awalaki's killing, too much secrecy shrouded the bureaucratic process, secrecy, of the executive branch playing judge, jury, and executioner. As a result, the targeted killing of Awalaki presents a constitutional gray area in the intersection of the executive, secret intelligence, and the rule of law. It was secret intelligence that the Obama administration relied on. Now, what if, 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 if I'm president, and I find this to be completely object, objectionable, and I decide I'm going to charge him with murder. I, I, want, I want him charged with murder. Or a state decides to do it. A state where uh, Al Lockie was, was a resident. Or since the, the, the crime happened in D.C., technically speaking, um, the District of Columbia, the, the United States Attorney for D.C., turns around and says there's no statute of limitations on murder. And um, we believe that this was a federal crime because it was committed by the president of the United States. And we charged the president, we charged Barack Obama with the killing of Anwar al-Awlaki. Now, even though people at the time cheered on his death, it doesn't make it legal. So the question is, just because presidents do something, does it automatically make it legal or not? And this point about drone strikes cannot be overemphasized because years later, we still don't know the answer to that question. Years later, we still have no idea whether or not a president can really kill an American citizen on on U.S. soil or outside of U.S. soil. We have no idea. We just don't know because nobody's ever challenged it in court. But it came up today. It came up today in Trump's immunity case. It came up big time. And the answer is still unresolved. The question is going to be who decides these things? Who, do, who decides these things? How does it work? This is what Trump said uh, outside the courthouse today. Because Take a listen. Joe Biden, I spend a lot of time in courts, federal, state, city. And tomorrow I'll be attending another Biden-inspired federal appeals court argument on presidential immunity in Washington, D.C. Of course, I was entitled as president of the United States and commander-in-chief to immunity. I'm entitled to immunity. Every president has immunity especially one that did the job I did. I did a great job. And I wasn't working for myself. I was working for the country. I wasn't campaigning. The election was long over. Wasn't campaigning. I was looking for voter fraud, something that I have to do under my mandate. I have to look for voter fraud. And I was finding it. Tremendous amounts of voter fraud. Think about it. His mandate is to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. So you can make that argument, right? Just like you can make the argument that Trump, that, that Barack Obama was totally in, in line uh, with killing Anwar al-Awlaki because he had a, a, an oath of office to protect the United States of America. This is why this is such a great area. Well, I want to thank you all. And we had a, a very momentous day in terms of what was learned and what they've conceded. They conceded two major points that were... Uh, they were right in doing it. I don't think they had much of a choice, but they're very, very big, very powerful points. And I think we're doing very well. I think it's very unfair when a opponent, a political opponent, is prosecuted by the DOJ, by Biden's DOJ. Uh, so they're losing in every poll. They're losing in almost every demographic. Uh, numbers came out today that are uh, really very mind-boggling if you happen to be Joe Biden. And I think they feel this is the way they're going to try and win. And that's not the way it goes. That'll be bedlam in the country. It's a very bad thing. It's a very bad precedent. As we said, it's the opening of a Pandora's box. And that's a very, that's a very sad thing that's happened with this whole situation. Uh, when they talk about uh, 
threat to democracy. That's your real threat to democracy. And I feel that as a president, you have to have immunity. Very simple. And if you don't, as an example, if uh, this case were lost on immunity, and I did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, I'm working for the country, and I worked on uh, very hard on voter fraud because we have to have free elections. We have to have strong voters. We have to have free elections. Those two things, almost above all. And we found tremendous voter fraud. We have a list of it. We have some findings if you want it. The press doesn't like reporting it, but we found tremendous voter fraud, determinative voter fraud. But we worked on that. That's what I was doing. And uh, they were talking about after. Well, nothing has to do with after I left. It was during the time. And, that and that's the key. During the time he's president, while he's president, if he does something that they view to be criminal, and Congress does not impeach and remove him for it, years later, can that president be subject to the United States justice system? All right, and that's the question. Now, clearly, I think based on Article 1 of the Constitution, the answer to that is, is an absolute no. Right. Absolutely not, because they want the president of the United States to they want Congress to deal with a president who they believe has abused office. And certainly the idea of going backwards in time and charging a president in the criminal courts for actions he does as the executive is completely antithetical to the impeachment clause. Why have an impeachment clause then? Why? Just treat him like every other citizen, every other American, and he has to face due process in the criminal courts for, for no matter what he does. That would be lunacy, and Barack Obama needs to be arrested for murder. They really focused on today during the appeal, and they concede that, and everybody concedes that, and if it's during the time, you have absolute immunity. So uh, we'll see how it all works out. Uh, we have uh, a great argument. We have an argument with they conceded two major points today. In fact, I think it's probably a concession. You have to ask the lawyers, Todd, if you'd like to talk about it. But they conceded two points that I think were, uh, by normal standards, if it weren't me, that would be the end of this case. But sometimes they look at me differently than they look upon others, and that's very bad for our country. Uh, you had a very big event yesterday, as you saw, in Georgia where the district attorney is totally compromised. The case has to be dropped. Uh, they went after, I guess, 18 or 20 people. They wanted to go after a lot of other people. They wanted to go after senators. She was out of her mind. Now it turns out that that case is totally compromised. In fact, they say she's in far more criminal liability. Well, that's the, p- the part I played you from Jesse Waters earlier today. So I think that when um, you look at what happened, where. They pay a lawyer with absolutely no experience, $700,000, who happens to be her lover or her boyfriend. And uh, then they go on trips and vacations together, very expensive vacations together. And the reason they paid him so much, because he was after me. Because this way they can afford to pay him a lot more. It probably passes a certain test. And that's a very sad thing that happened in Georgia. And I would imagine that case is going to be dropped. Every legal analyst that I've spoken to, every legal analyst that I've read have said that case is so compromised now, it has to be dropped. Uh, Very good people were very badly hurt by that case. It's a shame. Very good people. People did nothing wrong. Uh, They did nothing different than what Democrats have been doing for years and years and years, whether it's slates or anything else that you're talking about. But they were very hurt, and it turns out that she profited tremendously on that case. It's illegal. What she did is illegal. 
So we'll let the state handle that. But what a uh, what a sad situation. It is a sad situation in Georgia. No question about it. For the fairness, we've been covered very fairly. Most people agree that uh, we're entitled as a president to immunity. If you didn't have immunity, as an example, uh, Joe Biden with the prosecutor, we're not going to give you a billion dollars unless you get rid of the prosecutor that's after that's after now, Congress can company, impeach Joe Biden for doing that. Congress can. But he wanted that process. But to charge Biden criminally for bribery? You no. You say the horrible job he's done at the border where our country is being destroyed or the horrible situation that took place. The lowest moment, I think, in the history of our country was Afghanistan, the way we withdrew. Not that we withdrew, but the way we withdrew with, with shame. We surrendered. Uh, this is Trump killed. outside the courthouse today. Great soldiers killed, many unbelievably horrifically hurt, wounded, hurt, and hundreds of people died on both sides. Hundreds of people died. He could be prosecuted for that. So you can't have a president uh, without immunity. You have to have, as a president, you have to be able to do your job. But if this didn't work out, if I wasn't given immunity, then other presidents, when we talked about today, uh, President Obama with the drone strikes, which were very bad, uh, they were mistakes, terrible mistakes. Uh, you can't put a, uh, you really can't put a president in that position. So I think most people understand it, and we feel very. And, and the drone strikes were maybe in America's national security interest, maybe not. That that determination needs to be made by Congress. Otherwise, we're going to have problems here. Because you can go back and almost argue that anything a president has done has broken a law. And then at that point now, every, listen to me when I tell you this, if they rule Trump does not have immunity as president and that the impeachment clause is the only remedy for a president who breaks the law or abuses his power and that the writings of the Federalist Papers indicate as such, every single president of the United States of America will be criminally charged one day after they leave office. Mark my words, every single one there will be not a single president who is not charged with something and it it could be as simple as spying on american citizens george bush could be charged with the uh with torture i mean we we could we could do this all day and as a country we would become a uh, even more of a third world republic because every single president every single one when they leave office will eventually wind up being criminally charged for an action they did as president that is why the remedy is the impeachment clause, period. And if Congress does not make the determination that the president has abused his oath of office and violated his, his, his job and abused his power, that's the end of it. For better or for worse, that's the end of it. Because, you know, the next layer in this madness is what about civil lawsuits? Can we start civil, you know, suing presidents civilly for their actions as president? That would also be a chaotic cluster F for the courts. All right, I got more to say before we turn it over to the great one, Mark Levin. It is hour number four on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Coming right back. Thanks for listening to the Zioli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. All right, I got to get out of here and turn it over to the great one, Mark Levin, of course. But no, really, I mean, this, this issue of presidential immunity, I can't stress this enough. This is the question. You know, can presidents be charged criminally for their actions in office after they leave office? And if the answer to that is yes, then we are going to have a fiasco. And Barack Obama's decision to order the assassination of American citizens on foreign soil is is a question that has not been decided by the courts. And does the executive just get to 
kill an American citizen. Does due process not follow you overseas? Does due process not count if you're suspected of terrorism? What about other crimes? And all of these questions that, that, that are only, can only be, and I mean this, can only be resolved by the courts and Congress while the president is in office in terms of disciplining a president, in terms of, 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 of removing him from office, because that is what the impeachment clause is all about. Now, in terms of deciding whether a president is legal in what he's doing, I'll give you another great example. The internment of Japanese Americans and German Americans and Italian Americans during World War II by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who signed an executive order forcibly removing them from their homes without due process and putting them in concentration camps, internment camps. Now, the court ruled in Korematsu that that was legal, but it's, it's since been overturned. It's since been overturned that, that it was, in fact, unconstitutional to do this to these American citizens. The point is that, do you want to now posthumously impeach Franklin Delano Roosevelt? Do you want to posthumously impeach him and remove him from office for what he did with that determination? Or do you want to recognize it at the time Congress did not feel that what the president did was unlawful to the point of impeaching him and removing him from office? Because there's really no statute of limitations on a lot of these things. And I I mean, technically, I, I guess you could you could do that. I guess you could you could you could make that argument that we want to strip him away of the title of being president. But it's so stupid to ponder, just like it's stupid to ponder the idea of charging President Trump with election denialism, which, first of all, is really a a thought crime more than anything else. But but for his actions as president, looking for voter fraud. Take, to take care that the laws are faithfully executed, and that's what Trump did, and then to then turn around and say Donald Trump is guilty of these things, and Donald Trump now should face federal, uh, a federal court for what he did here is the height of absurdity. It really is, and it is going to cause a constitutional crisis the likes of which we've never seen, and the Supreme Court needs to resolve this. The remedy for a president who abuses power as president is Congress, via the impeachment clause, period. Or the courts, if they want to sue the president over the president's actions. Or if an American wants to argue that his actions violate the Constitution and the Supreme Court wants to hear that case, then the court is the arbiter while the president's in office. If the president doesn't comply with the court's ruling, then Congress can impeach him and remove him from office. That is the, that is the way the founders intended for this to be dealt with, That is what they wrote in the Federalist Papers. End of discussion. Have a great rest of your night. Mark Levin is up next. I'll back with you tomorrow, 3 p.m. to 7 on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Keep the conversation going on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Thank you. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons, 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD and on the free Odyssey app. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 